I have to finish this for us. And for the Review to a Kill series, because we are episode 34 deep into a Review to a Kill, our podcast series about the James Bond franchise, coming to you from fanboysanonymous.com. This Bondcast has gone on for this whole year, and we finally reached the the end? Uh, Kind of? Sort of? I guess? I don't know. That sort of depends on some other things. But we are talking about No Time to Die on this edition. I am your host, as always, Tony Mango. Joining me, as always, are Robert E. Felice. There's more complexity in my podcasting than both of your brands combined. <laughs> and Callum Wiggins. Turns out it's quite a long time to die. <laughs> there are some quotes that we could have been using for this. <laughs> I have a whole bunch that I was thinking about going with at the beginning of this. One being... Uh, Seems intelligence isn't central anymore. <laughs> uh, you're right. Letting go is hard. Uh, has the dust gotten bigger? Or did you get smaller? Uh, there's, I think one of the best ways for me to sum up some of my opinions about this is, uh, can I have just one nice evening before the world explodes? <laughs> We're going to dive deep into our thoughts on the latest James Bond film. We're going to break it down the way that we've been doing with all the other episodes that are going on here. We're going to talk about the seven central elements of a James Bond movie, the uh, girls, the gadgets, the villains, the allies, the action, the humor, the music. We're going to talk about our pros, our cons. What we will be doing a little bit differently for this one, though, is that it is just a recent film, and it's something that Neither of us, uh, any of us is the right phrase, not neither, have had a chance to watch a second time. So we can't really do the scene-by-scene breakdown that we've done with most of the other ones. So we're going to get kind of bouncing around all over the place here. My thoughts are all over the place with this movie, too, so I apologize in advance for how much I go back to certain points or whatever. But we're going to try to give you as thorough of a breakdown as we possibly can here. We will be talking spoilers, so... Keeping that in mind, uh, if you have not seen the movie and you don't want to know what happens, then maybe uh, put this on your watch later list and check it out afterward, unless you don't care about being spoiled. And if that's the case, or if you actually specifically want to know what happens in the movie, then by all means, continue to listen to this. And, you know, we gave you a warning just in case. So nobody just goes, ah, you didn't tell me that this happens in this movie and this part that happens and whatever. And, you know, some people are very strange with uh, spoilers. Some people are like, I want to know absolutely everything. I'll skip to the end of the book. Before I even read it, some people are like, hey, it's a spoiler if you tell me that a car shows up in the movie. <laughs> you know? So wanted to make sure that we get that right out of the gate. We will talk spoilers. We will talk specifics. And uh, if you don't want to know, come back and check us out later. While you're here and you're listening, I'm assuming that you're probably on YouTube. And if you are, hit the like button. Make sure you are subscribed to the channel. If you haven't done that already, just follow all over the place here. Facebook and Twitter as well, too. But double check that you are subscribed, and if you want to have us do more stuff on the James Bond spectrum or anything in particular, the best way to do that is to make sure that you show your support and that you just let us know what's going on. So leave a comment, tell us your thoughts on the movie, tell us your thoughts on the Reviewable Kill series, tell us your thoughts on what you'd like to see next if we get an opportunity to do anything else, and directly donate to the Patreon, sponsor things through the Pick a Poison tier, the uh, join button on YouTube, which is the exact same thing. Even a dollar a month really helps support things going forward, keeps the lights on, and 
you know, keeps the motivation going forward and everything as well, too. But, you know, if you don't want this to end and you want us to do anything, then that's what the Pick a Poison tier is all about. And uh, there are plenty of poisons to talk about with this movie. That was one of the driving points. Uh, we will we will get into a lot of this, but um, before we start getting into more specifics and, and also more generalizations and everything, uh, I want to toss out one of the things we usually liked to do in the past with this. Foreign language titles. So uh, some of them are kind of funny just because of the way that the translations go. Obviously, with a film called No Time to Die, it's not one of the craziest ones to translate or one of the ones where you just have to literally call it the exact same thing, like, you know, Goldfinger or whatever. Um, here are the ones that I had found that I thought were kind of interesting or funny or whatever. There is uh, Death is Ahead from Lithuania, which is the complete opposite of No Time to Die. <laughs> Just, yep, death. <laughs> There's uh, 007 Death Must Wait from Estonia. 007 Life and Death Battle in Taiwan. That sounds boring as all hell, right? <laughs> Very generic. Uh, Poland just went straight up for It's Not Time to Die. <laughs> uh, Vietnam has Not the Time to Die, which is, you know, pretty much the same thing. Uh, French titles are Dying Can Wait or To Die Can Wait, which those ones kind of sound a little bit more so like somebody trying to do a parody of Bond films. Like that could have been on The Simpsons is like, you know, uh, uh, James Bond is in Dying Can Wait to Death Another Die, like that kind of deal. Uh, <laughs> Czech Republic has no reason to die. <laughs> <laughs> and my two favorite ones Turkey has no time to exist <laughs> that's the opposite Just you don't even exist no no time for that at all and my absolute favorite of these the Chinese Cantonese one 007 life and death sometimes <laughs> I think no time to exist was my favorite but that's good life and death sometimes Life and death sometimes, yeah. Sometimes you live, sometimes you die, you know. <laughs> the facts of life, the facts of life, that's how it goes, right? Uh, so after watching the movie, the title itself, let's start there. How do you feel about the title? I like it. I've, yeah. I've, I've, I've always liked nine times. Uh, I've, since it was announced, that thing, it just it's a name that really feels Bond. No yeah, to this I think it was a nice title for what the movie was overall. I will touch on this when we get into the music side of things, but I do really like the title. I like it even more with the lyrics, and uh, yeah, we knew what the song was ahead of time because this movie's been delayed for like you know nineteen years. But um, I do like it more so knowing. Uh, the the song's context and and in the context of the movie, I think that this is one of the better titles that they could have gone with. Because I remember leading into this movie, the uh, the rumored title was to take one of the villains from a previous thing and and go with Shatterhand. And if they would have done that, I don't think that that resonates as much. I think No Time to Die is a much much better title than that, especially because there's nothing in the movie that would have pointed to Shatterhand. But you know, if anything, it would have been shattered face or something but 
No Time to Die. That's a fitting title for, for this movie and for the Bond franchise. It's very Bondian. So that gets a thumbs up on my end. Um, I have not been able to find the Michael G. Wilson cameo. I have no idea where he pops up in this movie. It's a little harder when you, you know, you haven't seen it several times over. I would assume that somebody would have found that out by now. And I can't find any information about it online. So he should be there somewhere. He's in all the movies in some fashion from when he you know, started doing these cameos. But he's either I'm assuming he's somebody in the party scene, most likely, because that's usually where they put him in is, you know, some kind of he's obviously like a background extra and different things or he'll do like a voiceover or something. But, uh, you know, that seems like the most fitting area for him. So I'm going to try to be on the lookout to see if I can find him there. Well, in some fashion. It's not listed on his IMDb page. That's so, usually a, like a 50 50 thing, too. Sometimes he's not credited. Yeah, it's got Spectus, Guy Full Quantum, Solo, San Casino Royale. It's got all of his yeah. ones in there. So, so he could I have been they, cut. Like, yeah, he might not yeah. be in the movie itself, too. That's another thing. Um, That'd be depressing. He might not be continuing. There's a little bit of an indication that he might have retired with this one. Uh, Barbara Broccoli had recently, like, uh, when they were doing, like, some kind of press thing or something i forget the context of it but she supposedly gave like a big like thank you to him which kind of into some outlets at the very least they got the impression that it was like thank you for being a part of this franchise for so long and he's probably going to bow out after this which if that's the case i'm very curious where they go from here because uh as we'll get into they're going to reboot it in some fashion and Barbara Broccoli doesn't seem like she's leaving anytime soon. And we know the whole thing with Amazon and maybe we get some other executive producers or something in the mix here. Uh, I don't know. But Michael G. Wilson has been a big part of this franchise for, uh, I mean, how long has he been a part of this? He, he, Spy Who Loved Me, I think, was the beginning of this. Uh, no, he apparently was a, also a, a soldier in Goldfinger. But a lot of the things come in with uh, Spy Who Loved Me. So even back then, I mean, you're talking multiple bonds ago, and he's had he's had his fingerprints all over this franchise. And if he leaves, then that's kind of it's kind of sad in some ways. Yeah, I mean, you have to. He, he can't be an eternal role, unfortunately, with any with yeah. anything, especially particularly something with the Bond franchise, which is as enduring as it is. So eventually, you do have to move on into something else. I'm sure. I'm sure at least his influence will still be felt, even if they start moving in slightly different directions beyond this point. Yeah, it's almost fitting if this is his last movie, and even if he wasn't in this one, I think it's a very fitting conclusion for him. And, you know, I mean, a lot of people, they like to wrap things up with something that is a very wrap-up kind of thing, like you know, an anniversary or like in this one, it's the 25th film. And obviously the way that things end in the movie, the way that that goes, you know, that makes a lot of sense and everything. So, uh, I know if I were in his shoes, I would rather, if I was going to step away from the movies, I'd rather step away with something where it feels like there is a climax to it as opposed to being like, and my last one is octopusy or so, you know what I mean? Where it's just sort of, yeah, that's it. That's enough. That's another one, you know, that kind of deal. Um, 
what do you think we should start? You think we should start with uh, trying to go story plot points, or uh, do you think we should just start with some generals? Or uh, we're, this isn't the same kind of setup that we've done with a, re- a review to kill a man in the past. So I'm kind of, I know even my notes are one big list of a bunch of talking points. I I, I don't really feel confident going through the movie bit by bit because I can remember general fits about it, but I'd rather just kind of talk about the thing as a whole really because it's like it or hate it and i'm sure we'll be going through differences of opinions at different points of it as well it's probably one of if the not the most notable bond movie of all time because of certain things to happen in it so yeah i think a general overview is the best way to do this because we don't have you know like the movie at will to go back and like look and reanalyze and i you remember the big moments you know yeah i mean i can give a a general breakdown uh in like a most basic sense but of course in the past we've done the whole like and then this part happens and this is an interesting tidbit of trivia or whatever i don't have a whole lot of trivia because it hasn't really been able to be analyzed all that much so uh, for anybody who's hoping for that we might in the future revisit it to do something more like that but we kind of can't right now <laughs> i mean if you've got your notes inside that sense of talking points then why don't you just we go through those talking points well they're not in any order of the movie that's fine like, i mean i'm not yeah. really in, I'm, I'm not really i don't think people need us to go through yeah bit by bit in general i mean you can talk about the very start of the movie because there's a gun barrel the gun barrel is something yeah uh i did want to talk about the gun barrel um it is a different gun barrel than we've seen before and I know that both of you are probably thinking, and Tony hated it. I didn't. Uh, the difference here is, well, first things first, uh, we started to get the gun barrel, and I was like, okay, good, we're getting a gun barrel. Like, <laughs> just kind of, they're not going to do the thing that they've done with, you know, three of the other movies where it's like, oh, well, here's our reason, and they not do it. And I had thought ahead of time that they might try to justify not doing the gun barrel by saying, well, he's not James Bond, or well, he's not 007 right now, so we're not going to do that. Uh, but we did get a gun barrel, and we got the gun barrel in the sense that I, I've i liked how they've done it, where they do this, um, the lead-in song with the MGM logo and whatnot, and then they get into the black screen with the da-da-bum, da-da-bum, da-da-da-da-da, then you start getting into the, the theme. He does the gunshot, and there's no blood. And I thought to myself, oh, huh. Well, that's different because it fades. It does like this weird fade and it goes to white. I thought it was pretty neat. Yeah, perhaps a bit of foreshadowing, too, now that I think about it and you frame it like that. But I like the gun barrel and I was glad to see it at the beginning of the movie. I actually assumed you would really just be glad to see it at the beginning of the movie (laughs) and be happy. Yeah, it, it worked out, especially because they do that fade into white afterwards. I think it'd be a bit more jarring if it they decided, okay, we have to force the, bl- the blood down and then go back to white, even though we were on white in the first place. There's other ways that they could have done something like that. You know, they can have some kind of... Uh, I, I don't know what would have been, like, red, like, that could have transitioned out of that. But, like, they didn't need to do the, the blood... I. I would have preferred probably if they would have done the blood just for the sake of, you know, keeping that kind of going. But 
I did think that this was a pretty interesting way to do it. And then, of course, with the foreshadowing of it, you kind of go into, okay, well, you know, it's slightly different with, with that. And overall, I thought it was pretty neat. So, uh, believe me, there are plenty of things that I I really, really liked about this movie. There are a lot of things that I thought was just okay. And then there's some things that I absolutely hated. It's all over the spectrum here. Uh, shout out to Calvin Dyson, who has got a fantastic YouTube channel for Bond stuff. If anybody is interested in the Bond stuff, check him out for sure. He had said something. I checked out his uh, spoiler-free review for a few minutes before I had seen the movie, and I had seen that he had said this has like some of the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? This actually pretty much does. And uh, the gun barrel was not either a highest of highs or the lowest of lows. It could have been... Uh, it could have been one of those pointy ones that I could have bitched about, right? <laughs> I will never forget that. <laughs> uh, so we don't get an intro opening sequence that is on the more traditional side of things. Instead, it's a flashback. And um, it revolves around something that we had heard about in the previous movie, Spectre, where uh, Madeline, Dr. Madeline Swan, spoke about how somebody tried to break into their home and she was a kid, and she knew where her father had hid his gun, so she had shot the guy. And that was such a a big line in that movie that pretty much everybody was just sort of like, okay, well, that might factor into the next film just because it seems like they might be setting something up. And that's what we get, which, to be honest, was not at all the scenario that I was imagining that it was when I was watching Spectre. I kind of... In my mind, her story was more of like a regular house in a regular, just, in, you know, maybe an apartment complex or, you know, I, I don't know where it would be, just a regular home, uh, not in the middle of nowhere in the woods and whatnot. And I thought that it was implied that it was somebody who either just like some goon or it was possibly somebody directly uh associated with Blofeld. How did you guys think about that? Did you give any thought to that prior to the movie or was it just sort of one of those like, ah, it's a line, whatever. I didn't look at any spoilers prior to the movie. Or look at anything that would seem like talking about how it might go. I mean like so when I you were watching Spectre. Uh was it just like not. one of those like ah it's just a line and it's just serving a point or did you kind of like well, fill in well, the backstory yourself? Well, it's one of those things where you don't expect them to really play into that because they they've never done anything like that before. You don't you don't you've never had a Bond girl go through two movies, so so I guess it was just conditioned to not think about it because even though I knew that she was going to be in the new movie, I didn't feel like that was going to play too much into it because they've never done it before. No. Yeah, and it's cool that they call back to it. You know it really does serve as the overarching plot for this whole movie. But at the time, you don't think they're going to put a lot of emphasis on any Bond girl in any Bond movie. So it's just a line in the other movie. But cool to see that they played off of it. And the way that this does play out is we get, who is the main villain of the movie, Lucifer Safin. Is that name? Uh, he kills Madeline's mom, who is this uh, drunk, depressed woman, and it kind of goes a little bit against what they had seen and uh, said in the previous movie, because uh, there's a line in it. I'm trying to find one of my notes here. Um, 
the whole hotel, uh, the American, Mr. White had says that they keep going there for years and years and years and years and whatever. And then he says, my wife left me years ago. Yeah. Well, that could, he doesn't say how. Yeah. He doesn't say specifically that she left him. And she said yeah. that that could be his own way of saying that she died. Yeah. It's just kind of like the implication is more of she like divorced and whatever, but then you switch it up and it's like, okay, well that's a different meaning to that phrase. Now my yeah. wife left me years ago. Doesn't mean my wife got tired of my villainous bullshit and she decided to pack her bags and leave. It means she became a depressed alcoholic who got murdered. <laughs> it's like, okay, that's different yeah. then, you know? And you can kind of see why that's a big memory for Madeline, not just for shooting somebody, but for also her mom died. Okay. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. But the more interesting thing is that obviously she shoots Safin and assumes that he's dead. Turns out he's not dead. And they do the spot where she runs out into the ice to try and escape him. He's just trudging along behind and she falls into the ice. And instead of finishing her off or just letting her drown, she shoot, he shoots around the ice when around her in the water and pulls her back up, or at least we're given the impression that he pulls her back up because then it cuts back into real time. And she's with Bond in uh, somewhere in Italy. So there's a couple parts of that that I honestly, I don't know if I missed something, but I'm confused about. So maybe you guys can clarify something for me. Number one, she shoots him. Mm. And she shoots him like right where his heart should be. And he's fine. Yeah. There's no implication so, that he's got like a bulletproof vest on or something. No, we don't get any sort of, uh, imp- we don't get any sort of understanding of how he managed to survive that thing. The only, the only thing we really know about Safin in general is the fact that he was, well, he survived the assassination attempts, but he was still poisoned in the process. Mm-hmm. So who knows what kind of impact that had on his body beyond the obviously facial scarring you think that they're pulling a little bit of like a renard here not quite the same but like that like maybe that helps him not no i just think like i just think they wanted to make sure that he didn't die and so they just did so they did it for a jump scare huh yeah like i, I just took that as like okay it's a movie yes she did shoot him right where his heart should be and he should be dead but it's a movie and maybe we'll get a little bit of playfulness in that regard because the Craig movies, very serious, but you know, maybe they could have played a little bit. I, yeah. I'm hoping that there's maybe something that explains it a little bit better that they maybe just accidentally cut or they cut around or something. Cause, uh, you know, I mean, they could just easily have that he had body armor on and I technically speaking, we see him in a puffy coat. Maybe he does have body armor on underneath there, but. He was bleeding and everything too, so I, I don't know. Maybe it's uh, just one of those things. But um, another thing that I'm kind of confused about for this: how old is Safin supposed to be? That's a great question. Because mm. Madeline, I mean, Lassadu is, I think, 35. Let me double check about that. She is 36 right now, 
So you figure she was like 34 or whatever when they're making the movie. Rami Malek is like maybe 40, I think. Uh, let me double check about him too. He is, yeah, he's yeah, 40. So he's only five years older than she is, four years older than she is. And she's at this part of the movie. She looks like she's like eight. You can tell me that this I think, dude's I, like 15 or something. So I think they try and portray Madeline as younger than Lesidu is and portray uh, Rami as older than he actually is. You're so, trying to go with him in this movie being around 50 and her being around 30. Yeah, I imagine that when he goes to kill uh, White and just the entire family, I'm imagining he's a late teenager. Like we don't 18, see, 19. Yeah, because we don't see his face or anything like that, so we're not given any indication. Well, beyond the, obviously, when the, when the mask breaks. Um, so we don't get to see anything significant in that regard. So, my, yeah, my assumption is that he's in his late teens when that happens. And so he'll probably be in his like late forties, early fifties at this point. Definitely made certain bits of the movie weird for me as well, just because of how it's portrayed later on. But yeah, that was one of the questions I had as well. And it is kind of curious why he saves her. I mean, to a certain extent you can go with the the whole, like, um, he doesn't want to kill a kid. And the fact that his whole family was killed and he was the, this child survivor would mean that he would, you know, kind of sympathize and whatnot. Well, he gives his explanation, doesn't he, later in the movie? Does he? I'm blanking on that. Well, well his explanation is the idea that once you save someone's life, they're bound to you, essentially. Ah. And so I mean, he does say, like, you owe me, yeah. Yes, yeah, so essentially that person is now indebted to you because without you, they wouldn't be alive. So he's almost, he describes it as the idea that it's more powerful than killing you because now you, now I own you essentially. Hmm. Yeah. But I also, I, I don't know. I just think bits of it were creepy, but this franchise is not shied away from being creepy in the past. So I guess it is what it is. Well, this whole it's sequence that. was very like more thriller, like horror film kind of stuff. Yeah, it, yeah. Was, it was jump scary, that sort of thing. Like murder in a, um, in a house, that type of... Like The Shining, vibe. a little bit. Yeah. He's got that creepy mask on, which... What do you feel about the mask? It's kind of unnecessary. It's just the, a thing to, for, like, promotional material more than anything else. Yeah, well, it's, it's there to be creepy. Well, yeah. I think it's mostly there to be creepy, but there's also the fact that the island is based between the coast of Japan and Russia. So I guess it needs to, they need to demonstrate some sort of Japanese influence. Ah. So, so that's so that's so I guess there there is a reason behind it in my mind. And I thought we were going to go from there, like the you know he rescues Madeline to the opening credits, but we go to another whole scene. Well, like, it, it would be, it would be too, yeah, it's one of the longest one, yeah. Right. Yeah, if it's I'd not the longest, then it's second only to the world's not enough. Yeah, I'd say it's. Um, I guess even though they were breaking from formula a little bit because obviously this is a flashback scene, they've never done that in a in a Bond movie before. And it, it does, but maybe it was just they didn't want to go so far into the idea that the opening sequence doesn't even even involve Bond. 
Yeah, true. And I mean, like, the fact that we do flash forward eventually too. So it'd be kind of weird to go gun barrel, flashback, opening credits, scene five years later. Then it would be like, all right, you're bouncing around a lot here. At least if you do all the previous stuff before the opening credits, you know, going forward, now it's present day kind of deal. But our opening scene continues, and it's uh, one of the very first things that I was like, oh, I love this. I can hear some notes in the background of we have all the time in the world. Yeah, that was a really cool callback. Didn't have any idea that it was going to carry on throughout the entire movie, but I was like, oh, look that Hans Zimmer did his homework, you know? But when Bond actually says the line... We have all time in the world. I'm like, oh boy, this this movie is going to be really interesting. I I do like that those are like a black curse kind of words in the Bond franchise. As soon as you say that, you know, it's like, oh shit, somebody's dead. <laughs> as soon as he actually said it, I went, fuck, they're killing Bond. <laughs> it did pop me, though. I did, yeah. I did like hearing that one. It's one of my favorite movies, so of course I'm going to big so i did take elements from that yeah i mean i will like i will always say this uh i mean shit i've got a website called fanboys anonymous like fanboying out over something is just one of those things that uh that i do if it's built into the fabric of a franchise and you call back to it i'm pretty much going to be a fan of it it depends on how you do it it depends on the you know circumstances all the other things but like when you're watching a star wars movie and the force theme starts playing. It's fucking goosebumps time. Or you hear like the Imperial March. You're like, okay, this is pretty goddamn awesome. And when you've got, say, yeah, you know, spoilers for some other movies and stuff, but like uh, when we finally hear Avengers Assemble in Endgame, the crowd goes fucking crazy because they're just like, yeah, it's the thing. We've been waiting to hear the thing. Ah. So when we have all the time in the world starts playing, it's like it hits you right in the feels because then you're like, yeah, okay, that's that's the thing. And then you tie that more into the movie. And if they would have done anything else on a similar wavelength and tried to make their own, we have all the time in the world, but it's now it's this song, you would have been hearing from me in this review, why the hell didn't they just do we have all the time in the world? So I'm really, really thankful that they actually did that. There was actually quite a bit of uh, On Her Majesty's Secret Service music in this. Did you guys catch, I know you don't pay as much attention to the music, but did you catch that the actual score itself, like the main theme, pops up later on in the movie? I did not. Yeah, it didn't didn't really cross my mind. I didn't write down when it shows up, but there's... uh, Actually, I think I remember where it was. Uh, The scene where... M is talking to Bond and they're outside and they're on like the bridge or something, I think. Maybe they're like looking over the Thames. Right before ta- right before uh, Bill Tanner comes in. Yeah, before Tanner pops up and it's like, oh hey Bond, you're alive, like that kind of deal. When they're when he's talking and he's explaining about like what he did with uh with Heracles. Heracles was in it, not Hercules, right? Heracles. Yeah. Yeah, Heracles. Uh when he's explaining that, there's in the background, like just kind of very subtle. And I'm like, Hans Zimmer knows what he's doing. Hans Zimmer is equal parts 
an absolute genius and equal parts. Ah, I'm just going to do the same thing. <laughs> like he has really like three types of songs that he does. And if you listen to the music from black rain, for instance, it is literally the exact same thing that he does later on with the Batman franchise, the same song, but it's a good fucking song. So it's like, you know, and there's moments throughout this mu- uh, movie where the music is like, oh, I can, I can hear that that's Hans Zimmer. But I really, really like that he incorporated some of these other Bond themes from the past and stuff. He might have incorporated some other ones that I didn't actually, uh, I didn't take note of yet. So I'm going to, in future viewings, I'm going to try to listen to here if I can get, like, notes of, I don't know, uh, uh, License to Kill or something. Oh, quick note. Uh, I went to go see this movie the night that it came out, and I went to go eat dinner beforehand. And I had a restaurant that I never really go to all that much, but it's literally right next to the movie theater. And what do I hear uh, playing in the, uh, you know, the, they play music in restaurants and stuff. The third song that I hear is Nobody Does It Better. Uh, it's, that's actually really great. I was like, yo, hey, <laughs> it's this. <laughs> you know, I thought that was pretty cool. Um. I didn't write that note down. I forgot about writing that note down. Uh, so our whole like uh, pre-opening sequence thing, it, it has, it continues and they are doing this whole setup with uh, Bond. It's with Madeline and they're in Italy and they start talking about Vesper again. And man, Vesper is all over this series and as she deserves to be because she's arguably the best Bond girl and, uh, she's put that stamp on Bond's heart in so many different ways. And uh, I really liked that they did bring her back up and it was kind of like, I'll spoil this uh, for a plot point that we're going to talk about later on. Madeline has both upgraded and downgraded in my books. She has upgraded character wise from the previous movie, but she is downgraded based off of, she has too much, weight to her character that I don't think that she deserves. So when they, at this point in the movie, when they incorporate her talking about, you need to get over Vesper, you need to do that like for us and for yourself and whatever. And they're doing this little thing with people like burning memories to kind of move on from the past, whatever. I really liked that whole bit. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was, um, it was a good reintroduction to the character and like, establishing that okay this is this is once again the the bottom girl that we're going to be focusing on and yeah i think it's i think it was important for just the whole plot plot of the series to basically bond has to come to terms with the fact that with what happened with Vesper because that's the that's really the catalyst for who he is as a person now and i think that it was the best closure you could possibly write where he does have a moment where he says i miss you and then burns the note that she gave him saying forgive me and it was like i was still on that that was very good if they would have ended that scene right at that point i still would have loved it but i like it even more that he sees the specter card and it's a fucking bomb (laughs) yeah i mean that's See, that's the that's what's like the beauty of this arc of Bond is that it's 
it, it's obviously it's many different things and there's lots of ways you can describe it but above all else and the thing that we'll probably refer to multiple times it's a complete tragedy oh it's 100 percent a tragedy every it, time it, that bond has the slightest bit of like a quantum of solace yeah. as he would call it he gets nailed with something else quite literally in some cases you know he's he does get you know shot with a nail in casino yeah. Royale. <laughs> And uh, yeah, and then and then after the giant explosion, the thing that I liked this movie, and they did it multiple times, which is they do the explosion and then pretty much the sound just dies. Well, the mm. only sound we hear is a ringing, like as, as if like a bomb just blew up near your ear. And I kind of take that as the interpretation of we're currently inside Bond's head. Yeah, you, you kind of uh, experience the um, the haze with him. And they do that in the uh, climactic um, uh, fighting scene as well, where there's a, a grenade or something that goes off and we hear the same exact thing. I thought, that, oh, that's a really nice callback. I really like the way that they've done that. I liked it better the first time. The second time around, I'm like, I don't think we really needed it the second time. But I, I, did, I, I did really like it with the, the Vesper thing, especially because the Vesper thing, you just got hit with an emotional punch and now you're getting hit with a physical one, an auditory and, you know. And then we get the what you what you'd say the more conventional Bond opening thing, which is assassins from all over the place. Yeah. The super action scenes where Bond dives off a bridge, holding the uh, holding a, a rope to swing along to. He does it in his own classical Daniel Craig. This guy is pretty clumsy, but manages to get the job done. Kind of approach and motorcycles, and there's a guy with a glass eye and. There's yeah, all the all the fighting scene, and then but then it's also counterbalanced by this giant uh, Bond is is in a emotional crisis because he assumes based on what one of the henchmen says that Madeline was the one that threw him under the bus mm. because he is so he is so unwilling and so incapable of trusting anyone because of everything that he's gone through in his life. He essentially takes her and they're driving around, but. The, the best part of it is that they're all surrounded by a bunch of cars in the middle of like this Italian square, and they just shoot. They're just shooting at the DB5 repeatedly, over and over and over again. And Bond's just sitting there because he knows that it's all bulletproof anyway. But so he's not really worried about it. But he's just in his mind thinking, "Do we actually get out of this situation, do it, or do I just just sit here and let us both die? Mm-hmm. Do I let her die, knowing that I'll die too? But at least this." bitch as he would call her based off of vesper uh you know the bitch is dead kind of thing like do i just you know let her deal with the consequences of her actions kind of deal or even press her even further to get her to be like yes i did set you up but can you please whatever like that kind of he's playing a little bit of chicken and uh he has every right to be pissed because why would he trust her she's the daughter of mr white and everybody fucks him over at some point for the most part, you know? And the action sequence is pretty damn cool. I was a big fan of, like, uh, when he gets on the bike and he goes up the side of the building to get, like, the steps or whatever it was to, you know, kind of jump up to the higher level. Big fan of the, the car. And as far as gadgets goes, the car just, it's got the the bevy of normal stuff. The machine guns, it's got the smoke stuff, it's got the uh, the little mine kind of spike things. I don't know what you would call them. I forget the names for it. Like not tax, but uh, it's just, it's a, it's a typical bond car. And like 
Q managed to put all that stuff in there, I guess, you know? <laughs> he was rebuilding the the car from its shell in the previous movie, and he bothered to put all this thing on there. A friend of mine said that they were thinking that at this part of the movie, he was going to use the ejector seat on Madeline. <laughs> oh. <laughs> That'd like, be terrible. That would have been really funny. It would have just been a funny moment if you just, like, you just zoomed in and he was just looking at it a little bit. <laughs> just, just at least like it like he wasn't actually gonna do it but he was just you just get a sense of he was thinking about it even for a split second like he did with uh with him where he's joking around about it <laughs> so i mean he eventually kind of trusts that she you know to a certain extent he trusts that she didn't really screw him over and they take care of the villains and whatever like that and he puts her on a plane a plane a train and tells her you know fuck off i'm not gonna see you anymore and at this point she puts her hand to her stomach and I'm like, all right, yeah. yep, she's pregnant. Called it. <laughs> so, well, this is the first time during this podcast I can say um, my immediate reaction to the movie was texting Tony, I hate you, you called everything. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, he did. You called it. Not everything, but a good portion of it, because it's like some of the stuff is just, it's built in the way that it kind of seemed like it needed to go you know um that was our that was our opening sequence uh we will talk yeah. we we're, we're going to do our rankings and everything uh at the end of this but how would you guys feel leading into the opening credits before we're talking about the opening credits i love the action sequence like that it felt comforting in a way like okay now it's a bond film like you know this is fun and the stuff with madeline and the flashback was good too but the action sequence is where it all lives for me. Thumbs up. Yeah, I thought it was one of the best ones they've probably ever done in terms of just being its own like cinematic experience and a good blend of both the emotional and the the action side of things. The he covered both sides really well. So that uh was something that I was a big fan of and I'm like, all right, cool, I'm on board. This movie's uh this movie's doing some pretty good stuff here. And then they hit me with the dots. From Dr. No. That's how they transition to the opening credits. Mm. And I'm like, fuck yeah. We're getting the Dr. Yeah. No dots. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this is, um, it's given a lot of fan service to people that are long-term fans of the franchise. Maybe because they knew what was coming up at the end. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta try to, uh, you know, prep everybody for that. Soften the blow. I really liked the uh, the little dots though. That was just they didn't need to do that. They could have done anything else, but I thought that that was great. Uh, and I, of course, uh, talking about the main theme itself. Big, big fan of Billie Eilish's "No Time to Die." I like it even better now after the movie. Yes, I would agree with that. It's not my. I enjoyed the one that you had sent me earlier in the year that did not get used. I, I forget at the moment who sings the song, but I enjoy that one more as a song, but this was a great theme song for the movie and Billie Eilish, right place, right time, because I don't know if anybody could have done this song better than her. Maybe like a Lord or something like that, but very good song. So that one that you're talking about is uh, the track demo thing by Mark Ronson and uh, Elsie Juber. Yeah. I guess, or anybody that's interested. And that's like, to me, a better song and a very catchy song. And I listen to it a lot, but this was a great opening sequence 
song for Bond. But you yeah, I was a, yeah. yeah, I was a huge fan of the song for the longest time since I first heard it. I thought it was a great uh, addition to the catalogue of great Bond songs. And then when I saw the actual, it, it then put together with the actual opening credits, it's just a masterpiece, really. It's the graphics for it and just everything they move towards throughout it is just... Yeah, it's like it's it's basically a known like short picture nominee. You could just take that out of the movie and just like, okay, this could win a short short film of the year at the Oscars or something. It's just great. I do wish that it would have had some more of like the the women's silhouette kind of thing going on that previous movies have had, but I know they've been kind of like trying to go away from that formula. To me it's like it's part of the franchise, why not? But I loved, in particular, the one of the notes that I actually put my phone uh, – I took my phone out to write it down so that I wouldn't forget about it. The uh, guns forming the DNA strands. thought mm. that that was fucking great. I don't know if I, like, kept that one in mind, but that is pretty cool. It's all, like – they're all revolving around, like, a helix, and then they all start shooting. So it ends up, like, forming the – I forget how, like, you know, ACHC or whatever, the how that, that kind of uh, gene sequencing kind of goes. But it's like they they use, like, gunshot residue and whatever to do the connecting points between the helix of the, the, the guns. And I'm like, that is great, great imagery. You know, especially with, like, previous movies where we've seen before where it's, like, the big gimmick for the technological means of the time was, like, you're going to take the same silhouette of roger moore and you're gonna have him shoot these little lasers out of his gun and stuff like there's a much bigger step forward <laughs> uh as a song love the song as a bond song love the song as a theme for this particular movie love the song major fan of the opening credits very good start to the film yeah uh so Here's where we're going to start bouncing around a little bit more because obviously it's easier to keep track of the stuff before the pre-credits and then I lose track of which comes first and what comes second and everything. But eventually we get to this whole plot point being that uh, this laboratory is being uh, ransacked by these agents that are – it's kind of like all over the place. It sort of seems like it's like they're, they're a lab that is an MI6 lab. But it also seems like maybe they're not, maybe they're involved in Spectre, but then it seems like, okay, maybe they're not. And I think if I'm, you know, drawing the right conclusions here, it is an MI6 lab and it's our main person that we're tracking through this, Valdo Obruchev, who is one of the main villains of the movie, is an MI6 scientist, but he's a double agent and he's working for either Spectre directly or he's working for Safin to offset Spectre. Is that right? I think he's working yeah, I think, with Safin. Yeah, that's, yeah, he's working with uh, Safin instead, which is why they presume earlier on in the movie that Spectre have gotten infiltrated. And so it's the idea that we had no idea that he was involved with Spectre. Well, it turns out he's not involved with Spectre. Yeah, he's a third party kind of deal. Yeah, so they could have no idea that he would have been associated with it because they probably didn't know this guy existed. Uh, that Safin existed so they've 
the idea of Project uh, Heracles, which is obviously the the name of the thing that they were building across this floor of MI6, is that this was a hidden floor where they were producing significant bio bio weapons in order to deal with Spectre and things like that. But it was completely uh, classified information, only known to a select group of people, and so that's why they're so. There was so much angst surrounding it as well, because essentially, how did people figure out that this thing was there in the first place? And the way that this is eventually described, just to kind of skip forward and then go backward, uh, the bioweapon works this way. There are nanobots that are created and coded to target specific people through their DNA. And then that way, once when somebody gets infected with this nanobot virus, they are completely safe as long as they don't have any kind of connectivity to that person. Uh, the DNA sequencing can be a little bit wonky. It seems like uh, you can target it to relatives and not the specific person by you know tweaking a couple things, and that becomes one of the biggest plot points of the whole movie. But the idea behind it that M explains later on is we used to be able to get in the room with the villain and we knew who they were and all these other kind of things that Judy Dench was talking about with uh, Skyfall. And now we're at a point where we don't know who is good and who's bad. And even then it's hard for us to do that because everything's through computers and everything. So why don't we just have this kind of all encompassing virus that'll do the job for us. It's very much the way that I've said before, I wish that COVID could just target greedy, selfish, evil people and not good people. Because, man, the world would be a much better place if it was just like, hey, as long as you're a good person, that doesn't affect you at all. And suddenly the people who are like, you know, billionaires who try to uh, make other people even poorer because they want to add an extra 10 bucks to their wallet type of thing. It seems like Emma's like, let's try to do that. But for real... And to target Agents of Spectre. Of course, because it's a movie, and you have no movie without it, it's, uh, you're up shit's uh, creek with this whole thing. And it does not work out the way that they were hoping to, because it gets in the wrong hands. It gets in Safin's hands. Yeah. Well, one of my favorite parts of the whole movie is just this whole creation of Project Heracles, because it's it to me, it's the perfect blend of the new technology trying to make it feel like this is something that, like, has the, I guess, the building blocks of something that could happen or something that's just because the way the technology has evolved to give that blend of, like, almost that fear of what could be happening in the next 10, 15, 20 years or whatever. But then it's got the extreme level of absurdity that you would expect from Bond villains and their plots because... It's a bioweapon made of nanobots that inf only infects people with a certain DNA strand. Just like that's the sort of thing that you switch off and you like accept because it's a Bond movie. Yeah, you're like, and sure, you they figured it, it out. Why not? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you could believe it in an action movie if you heard it in like a, a more quote unquote serious franchise or movie. So they just go, what? That I mean, that does that just wouldn't happen. But it's like, but it is, it's got a level of absurdity to it as well as being just very technologically astute. So I really appreciate the weapon, the weapon that Bond is fighting against pretty much for the entire movie. 
I enjoyed it as well. I think I had made this remark to Tony that I don't know if you can, I don't know if you could have released this movie amid an actual <laughs> pandemic because of all the uncertainty and fear. But when you realize how real something like just a virus can be, and then you tailor it with all of this, like, ah, oh, it's nanobot technology, that's genius. And that's a really good way to wrap up one Bond's story. Yeah, so the plot itself through that, that gets a thumbs up on my end too. It's like uh, Callum said, it's the right level of absurd and believable at the same time. Uh, we'll talk about Obershev a little bit more later on. Um, we get that Bond uh, over the past five years, Bond at some point at the very least, has retired again, <laughs> mind you, and uh, he is in Jamaica. And I don't know for sure, but I'm pretty sure that the house that they filmed at is Ian Fleming's old house, Goldeneye. Would be a really cool tie-in. I'm fairly certain, or at the very least, it's patterned somewhat off of it. I don't know if they'd be able to like film at the actual. They probably would be able to film at the actual place, but like, you know, build a set around it and do you do whatever that kind of deal. I think it's the same thing. Which that I mean, you know, they name a movie Goldeneye after that, and obviously we get some tie-ins with Fleming here and there. You know, the uh, the quote at the end of the movie. Uh, which we'll talk about and some other things. Um, big fan of that. I'm, I'm popping for the idea that Bond retires in Jamaica because it's like, yeah, hey, Ian Fleming did. Cool. I like it. Another thumbs up moment. Another pay attention to the series and you're going to get rewarded from these little Easter eggs kind of things. Yeah. To- yeah. It, it's good to have like things that the whole cause will pay attention to, but it doesn't affect the casual's experience. Yeah, like if yeah. you're just a, a casual fan, you're not saying, oh, wow, look, look at this, this and that. But for somebody like you who's going to bitch about a uh, gun barrel <laughs> being 2.8, you're like, oh, it's so freaking cool. It's Goldeneye. It, yeah. it's, it's really nice. When you do something like you put Vesper's theme in the scene where he's saying goodbye to vesper it it hits you better if you you know what it is and everything but if you don't you're not losing anything out of the movie um blah 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 eventually whatever we get felix lighter contacting him and uh we get introduced to his colleague logan ash uh and (laughs) immediately i'm going yeah that guy's a fucking double agent you guys do the same thing yeah he was too he was too positive in a way. Like he was too like, oh, I know you get James Bond. Yeah. Love you, man. It's like, oh boy. <laughs> Something not right here. He was giving me some uh a little bit of Red Grant vibes from from Us With Love when he was trying to be like all buddy buddy with James Bond. You know, the like uh um oh god, I'm blanking away. Does he call him like old chap, I think? Or no, old man, I think. And he's like, all right, old man, like whatever, that kind of thing. And Logan is just sort of like, you know, oh, you're James Bond. You you know, this is great. Like, let's, and Bond says like he smiles too much and whatever. Bond, of course, is a little suspicious of him too. And uh, yeah, he's never right to be because Logan's a fucking asshole in this movie. Yeah, he's 
real piece of shit. Uh, but we get a whole thing back and forth with some of that stuff. Felix wants him to join in on this the this mission, whatever. Bond's retired, whatever. He starts flirting around with uh, Nomi, who he immediately knows something's up, and she's part of MI6. And she, of course, is. Turns out that she is the new 00 that replaced him. She is 007 now, which we pretty much knew going into the movie from like promotional material and stuff. And there's part of me that doesn't like it, but there's an even bigger part of me that goes, well, Bond's retired. Why wouldn't they just keep it going and have a new 007? There's been more 004s. There's been more 005s, you know, whatever. So, yeah, there's a new 007. They, re- they really harped on that number, though. And I... One of the only things I liked and I thought the Nomi character brought to the table was that constant banter about the 007 number. And I think they had a lot of fun with it. But I, I will say, when Felix Leiter's talking to Bond and he's saying, we need you, we can't tell the good guys from the bad guys anymore, I'm thinking, I hope that the person who took over 007 isn't a bad guy. Like, that would just suck if... Ah, she's the main henchman, and ah, there you go. That I was, thought was, there was a a possibility that that could be the case. Yeah, I kind of thought that maybe they were setting up Logan to be that thing for a red herring, and that it was going to be Nomi. But I was like, I guess we'll find out during the movie that kind of deal. What were you thinking about that, Callum? Were you kind of suspicious of either one of them? No, I wasn't. No, I never considered the possibility that she was going to be that guy, Logan potentially. But I wasn't really thinking that much at that point in time. I didn't want to. I thought he was either going to be likely a villain, or he was going to be some really big uh, sacrificial lamb. See, he's smiling too much because he's a bad guy. He's smiling too much because he doesn't know what he's doing, and he's way over his head. Kind of like uh, he'd be like the oh god, what's his name? Uh, the dude from Casino Royale, who's uh, yeah, he just gets thrown into the snake pit at the end of it. <laughs> yeah, you know, stop touching your ear, like that type yeah. of thing, like damn kid doesn't know what he was getting into and you get killed because of it, that kind of deal. I did I did enjoy Naomi's uh, introduction, the idea that she was um, essentially there and just like the, immediately going into the bedroom and there's some good banter between them. Like she takes her weave off and he says, well, it's not the first thing I expect you to take off. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> yeah, that was good. it's just a, a good uh, laugh in the uh, cinema that I was watching it in and... Yeah, and the fact that she does harp on about the 007 thing and the fact that she says, like, you probably thought you'd be retired. I like that line, yeah. Yeah. That was a and great the, line. And his response is just typical Craig's Bond. It's like, it's just a number, that sort mm-hmm. of thing. Even though you know it hurts him, he just, like, he has to chug it off because he can't show any emotion. And, uh, yeah, I I like I, I did like the um, introduction to her and the fact that Bond eventually is convinced to join into this escapade, but working essentially for the CIA instead of MI6. Yeah, because he trusts Lighter. He's a fan of Lighter, a friend of Lighter. Obviously, he, to a certain extent, is going to trust Nomi, but he knows full well MI6 is not like infallible. You can't trust everybody and whatever. But uh, he gets into the mix here. And I will, again, we're going to bounce back to characters. We're going to talk about some different things here and there. I will say this Nomi does not register on my scale anywhere near as much as the next person that we meet because. Bond gets introduced to another contact through Felix, and it is the CIA agent named Paloma, played by Ana de Armas. I thought she was fucking great. She has yeah. this wide-eyed... I She says, uh, I, I had three weeks of training. 
and all this. And she is a fun character. I loved her character. In any other Bond film that isn't a part of this specific series, which is telling one through line story, she is the main Bond girl. And she's awesome because she was awesome for the brief time that we had her here. And one of my favorite parts of the whole movie. Yeah, I thought she was she was obviously very good. She plays the like you said, the doe eyed expression, like the idea of like you almost get the sense of a um uh a not even a Tiffany case, that sort of um who's the one that's the fake agent? The one that's actually working for um in um in Live and Let Die. Uh Rosie? Yeah. She got she gave me that sort of vibes early on. And, a little bit uh, of Rosie, a little bit of uh, Mary Goodnight. Yeah, this is the very, um, just the very, um, obviously quite innocent, but very uh, like super eager to do this thing. And oh, I've got no training in Bond. Just like rolls his eyes because he just assumes to be bad, and then she turns out in when he actually <laughs> gets into the fight scene that she totally kicks ass. Great. Yeah, I wouldn't she... say it was like good. I wouldn't say it was one of my favorite parts of the movie. I mean, it's a very, very good action scene. But, like, she's there and then she goes. And it's like, and to be honest, I didn't. Uh, I may feel harsh, harsh me for this, but, like, I didn't miss her when she went. I wasn't, I, I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't, like, really that. Oh, I, basically, I'd, because I um, left halfway through this part to go to the bathroom anyway, because obviously it's a long movie, so you kind of have to uh, pace yourself a little bit in that regards. But uh, I came back and I basically asked um, my brother after we left uh, who I was watching it with. Uh, did anything else happen with Paloma? He said no. I said okay. Like, so it didn't didn't leave that much more of an impression on me. I think that's because, again, going into this film, you know that she isn't going to be a main Bond girl or even perhaps a main villain. It's just she's there for the one scene. I just think that she did a great job in the scene. And like I said, any other movie would have been the main uh, female protagonist of the film. Yeah, she's not an ally on the level of something like a uh, Karimbe who's throughout like most of the film, but she's very much like, um, I guess like Saunders to an extent, but obviously a completely different character. But like, uh, she's there for a, a short time, but a good time. And she hits so many different marks here for me. Like, obviously, looks wise, she is incredibly attractive so that's one good thing which is you know you, you look at Anna the armrest and that dress and you're like yep that's a bond girl <laughs> you know like that kind of deal but then i i really like the switch of her being you know this this rookie that bonds like oh i guess i gotta like babysit her and then she is quite literally kicking some ass like she does a damn good super kick you know <laughs> And she's think- great with a gun. She uh, they they have that little moment that's uh, a cute little moment where they have the little toast in the midst of this whole action sequence. I think they hired her, and like even like Callum says, you take her out of the movie, you're not really missing much. But then you have her there because you're like, oh, you are a Bond girl. Look at her in this dress. You know, she can kick ass. That was believable. You're a Bond girl. Let's try to get you in the movie in some capacity. Yeah, she fits more of the traditional Bond girl mold. So if anybody would have been like, you know, wow, they didn't even have like a regular Bond girl. Yeah, they did. Paloma. You know, she's uh, 
a mixture of, say, um, Paula Kaplan from Thunderball and somebody more bombastic and a bigger type of character, like, um, what's like one of the ones that's like a, uh, not like a Mayday, but like, um, yeah, whatever, you get the point. Uh, <laughs> here's where I'll, I'll bounce to something that I, I kind of wanted to talk about. Uh, or, well, should I talk about it now or should I wait a little bit? Um, maybe I'll wait a little bit and we'll come back to this because it involves another point. But they do this whole thing where they're at this party and it's all these Spectre members. And it turns out that Blofeld, who has been in a prison cell this whole time and he's been mumbling to himself a bunch of nonsense or what it seems like he's mumbling a bunch of nonsense to himself. And even M is, you know, watching over him. And it turns out that Blofeld, the only person he's willing to talk to is Madeline Swan. He's able to get his birthday party going on through this prison cell. And he's using the bionic eye that Cyclops, as he's referred to, but uh, what's his name? Uh, his actual name. It starts with a P. Uh, Primo. Um that's how he's able to communicate with people. And all these Spectre agents are all around there and the spotlight goes on Bond. And I'm thinking that that's pretty damn cool. It's a little bit unbelievable. It's a little bit on that spectrum of like, how do you plan out all these things? Like how Silva was able to plan out and then the train's going to come at this point and then this is going to happen and that's going to happen. But it doesn't even fucking work because Spectre agents all get killed with that nanovirus. That was pretty cool. Yeah, it was that a pretty good uh, twist to it. And that was awesome because all of Spectre is just getting wiped the fuck out. And you go, huh, this is like the main organization going after Bond. Things are really changing. Loved it. Obviously, we get this whole sequence with uh, they're trying to get Oberchev out, and we get some back and forth about like you know Nomi's helping and uh, Paloma's helping and Bond's helping, and you know they they kind of balance things between the two uh, kind of sides. I like that Bond is sort of you know showing up Nomi a little bit here and there, and he's just like I'm going to take your plane, like that kind of deal, and whatever. Um, but it ends with their uh, Paloma's like this is where my stop is, you know, see you later. Give this cigar to Felix. And by the end of this next sequence, Logan Ash reveals himself to be somebody working for Safin and he shoots Felix and he escapes with Obrachev. Felix is bleeding out. Bond is telling him, you're going to smoke that cigar. And Felix knows full well, Bond's not going to be able to carry him to safely, uh, to safety safely, with his own life in the mix as well. And he knows to tell Bond, Hey, look, you got to let me go. Uh, and he says something that I, I liked where he just says, yeah, as one of those like lines that you're going to have, you know, your final line kind of thing. Maybe it's not the best line that they could have gone with, but he says, it's a good life, isn't it? And Bond replies the best. And that was the first time i got choked up watching this because i'm like it's god that hit that hit me really hard because it just you start again picking off all of these key players and it just 
It hit. Yeah, it was a. You you kind of get the sense like throughout the the betrayal and stuff like that of um Ash that you know that Light is not going to make it, and they just make it even more. It's odds against them constantly. The the, um, the first the gunshot and it's bleeding out a lot, but then you feel like okay, they're in this situation, but we'll find a way out. And then the ship starts sinking, and then you just add more and more on top of it. And yeah, eventually has to let Lighter go, and that's a hard thing because this was a, a good Lighter as well. So it's a uh, yeah. I think they had to start um start the process again, preparing for what was to come, and this was one of the uh, components into that. We, uh, at this point in the movie, I'm going, ah, man, like, I don't want to see Felix die, but Felix was in the range of, I think that they could potentially kill off Felix and I'll spoil something for my opinions, but later on, if they would have just killed off Felix, there's some things I wouldn't be as upset about. Uh, Felix's death is kind of like. Sometimes it happens, you know, like, uh, I mean, we've seen in License to Kill, he gets his leg bitten off, and unfortunately, the way that they frame it in that movie, he ends up being like, let's go fishing, (laughs) you know, that kind of thing. But, like, Felix has been written out of the franchise before and whatever, and I'm like, oh, you know what, if he's going to die, I get it, you know, but it it does hurt, because then you're like, nah, Felix, oh, I like him. But here's where I'll bring up uh, a point. This might be a debate. You might agree. You might disagree. I don't know. Form and function. Here's something that I've been dwelling on uh, since the movie ended and since I've had a couple of days to think about this. I think if I were writing this movie, I would have reached a point. I mean, I I wouldn't have written the movie the way that it was written. I would have changed some things here and there. But uh if somebody were to tell me, hey, polish up the script before we start doing it, this is what you're working with, one of the first things that I would think is, I don't like Nomi all that much. And outside of her character being toying around with the double O number, they hit that like a hundred times. That beat just keeps happening around. And they also hit the she's good at her job beat a bunch of times. She doesn't really have a whole lot of. She doesn't I, serve much in the movie. She's just there to be the other, the other ally. Seven. Yeah, and like they don't even talk to her on the mission. Emma's always talking to Bond, and I know that he's the main character, of course, you know. But like, I think she needed to have more to do. But I don't know how they balance that out. And the only way I could think of that they could balance it out was maybe you take Paloma and Nomi and you merge them together and you end up with a character that's got more, cause Paloma's got some vivacity to her and some life to her and she just leaves in the movie. But maybe if that's the introduction where it's like, Oh, I've had three weeks worth of training or whatever. It turns out actually I'm 007 now. Then that becomes more. Okay. The rookie, I thought that I was going to be you know schooling the rookie, but it turns out she's replacing me. And then we can have that discussion later on in the movie. And I also think if you replace Paloma a little bit in that scene and Felix is on that mission, here's one of the criticisms I have about the Craig franchise. Bond and Felix don't do anything together. Yeah. In, in Casino Royale, 
they are just opposites out of a poker game until Felix stops him from killing the chief. And he says, Hey, I'm a CIA agent. If you arrest him, let, 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 let's take him in. And then in the next movie, he shows up as, yeah, I trust bond because I know him from the poker game. And he says, you got like 30 seconds before we're going to come after you. And then the next time we see him is here. Yeah, but I think that's one of those cases where you're supposed to just go off of legacy. Right. You're so you have to know the other movies to care about Felix more. You you will care about Felix just because he's been, you know, in the Craig films, but you don't care anywhere near as much unless you've seen the other movies. So if you had one or two scenes where they were on a mission together or whatever throughout this franchise, I think that that hits better and maybe I'd replace Paloma with Felix and then replace Nomi with Paloma. Something to think about. I don't know. Maybe if I were working on that, if I tried it, I'd be like, actually, that doesn't work. But that's what I've been, one of the things I've been thinking about. Because I fundamentally know me. I don't really like her all that much. And it's not because she's taken over the 007 thing. We'll get to that a little bit later on. I just kind of don't think that her character is anything but a little dull. I think they were trying to serve a lot of different masters. And that's why you get Nomi and Paloma in these roles where you're trying to get the typical ally and the typical Bond girl. And normally the typical Bond girl is the ally. And I think that's what you're trying to say with Paloma if you merge them. But of course this movie, yeah, I already had the Bond girl. So you didn't need it in that regard. And you needed Nomi because she's 007. I wasn't like super offended by the character. I feel like it's, um, I, I didn't really have too many negative feelings towards it. I feel she portrayed the role well of someone who is initially like super cocky about the fact that she's now 007 and she's dropping that in the face of Bond. And then when Bond comes back, she's now intimidated and paranoid a little bit about all this stuff. And she's conscious about what number is he have now instead when he's been reinstated as a double O and yeah, I feel like she probably could have had a bit more to do in terms of the action side of things. I think she got a little bit more towards the end of it. But yeah, they, they probably could have done more with the character than they ended up doing with her. Oh, I wouldn't say it was like an overall negative thing, but I think it's kind of because of the way the movie is and the way the movie had to be, so much focus was on Bond and Madeline that basically every other character kind of falls away a little bit. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't want it to come off as like, Nomi's the worst character ever. She's far from that. (laughs) No, No, but I I feel like everyone, I don't, everyone suffered. Everyone, I don't, I don't want to even make it sound like a negative, but every other character kind of falls into a real secondary category because the, well, Madeline to a degree, but Bond in particular, like this is, this is the Bondi, one of the Bondiest of Bond movies in the fact that like it's all about him, even more so than a lot of other movies in the past have been, really, because it's a, a tour de force in terms of just Craig's performance and the way that the character needs to go from place to place and all this other stuff. So everyone else feels a little bit just along for the ride, pretty much. One of those things that you brought up uh, that I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on we don't know what double o he was reinstated as no and that's that's quite the reason why i feel like they didn't um they didn't reference nomi at all 
during the thing because they didn't want to say what her new double O number was. What did you guys was, kind of think that it was? I thought um, uh, I thought he'd been reinstated as double O one. Yeah, when he was reinstated, I thought that he would just be double O one. I thought that they were going to say double O one as well because I thought, you know what, double O eight makes sense because they could do the whole like hey, you know, you're 008 and I'm, you know, one above you kind of thing, but it's not a ranking system and they've never established that, you know, that's not that the way that that goes, but that they've always had this back and forth of 008 being the other guy, like, uh, you know, Goldfinger, hey, you know, if you kill me, 008's just going to replace me. And then in multiple other movies, it's like, I'll just send 008 to replace you because you're being an asshole and 008 seems to be very like by the books and everything. Nomi is very by the books and she gets the job done and whatever. And I was like, maybe she's, maybe they're playing into that and she's 008 and maybe Bond's 008 for a moment there or whatever. But then I thought 001 hasn't really been established and maybe they could do this whole like, oh, of course you're going to call him like number one kind of deal. Like, and they didn't say it. And I'm very curious if there's a draft of the thing or if there's some kind of deleted scene or whatever where they maybe pick a number. Uh, down the line, we might get some trivia about that. Maybe they'll do some kind of documentary where they'll talk about it or whatever, or you know, or maybe they didn't have any number in mind because they specifically didn't want to get into that whole discussion. They want people to fill in the blank themselves. But I thought 001 or 008, both of them make sense. I thought that that was kind of neat. Uh, and also, one of the most disappointing parts to me of the movie was the fact that they never referenced Nomi when they were talking to them both when they were in the final. Mm-hmm. They never do. It's like I feel, M is I feel like continually I, yeah, just going, like, hey, Bond, what about this? Bond, did you do this? He's never like, and Nomi, are you on it too? Like, you know? Yeah, yeah. It, ma- it makes her feel like she's not as important, which I think hurts the character more than just fan perception of, oh, they had someone else be 007. Yeah, I feel like if they at least referenced her throughout the thing, it would just make her feel like she was on equal footing with Bond going into that mission. At the very least, which is what you're supposed to believe. It's like, even though it's a Bond movie, she's another double O agent. So essentially, for all intents and purposes, they're on the same footing. Remind me, uh, or you know, might not even remind me. I'll probably use the phrase a whole bunch. Uh, a talking point for the sake of a talking point might be popping up on my kind of review of this here and there. Uh so moving on from that whole situation, we lose Felix. Uh, Bond gets reinstated. We get Money Penny and Q back in the mix. We see that you know Money Penny is very much like I really liked the idea. Like when Bond is there with Nomi in the office, and it's like you could come in. It's like you, know, you Bond, not Nomi. And Nomi has that little exchange with Money Penny where she's like, you know, I could see why you shot him. And Money Penny says, well, you know, most people try. <laughs> kind of deal like. I like that kind of back and forth. I love that Money Penny asks Bond if she has any dinner plans. And for a split second, I'm like, <gasps> just kind of like, ah, they're doing something here. And then, of course, it ends up being that they're going to Q's place. And we get to see Q's cats <laughs> that he's referenced. We get confirmation of what I had said before about uh, Q that they were hinting that he was gay. He's at least by or you know whatever you would classify him but he you know he's talking about how he's got a dinner date with some guy that's coming over soon which i like because it brings more life into the character gives him something different get some representation in there for people that, that's going to mean a lot to some people like big big fan of ben wishaw's q 
He's no Desmond Llewellyn just because of the legacy thing and everything, but he is damn good number two. I was hoping by the, the end of this, because this would be the last Craig film, that he would be a little playful, but he never really breaks from what we know the character to be. But I did enjoy the development of seeing him at his house and him getting ready for the dinner date. And, and then the line that you referenced of, oh, God, can't I have just one nice evening before the world explodes? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I did like the line of like uh, when he does get to see the cats, it says, you know, they come with fur now. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's a that's a good line from Bond. But um, no, I, I like I, I like the interpretation of Q that he has because this Q is is kind of by the oh, it's not, not even by the numbers because he always goes to help Bond even though that's not what he's supposed to be doing. But he's very much fastidious and quite um quite abrasive in that regard. So rather than Desmond Llewellyn's Q, uh, who's a bit more um who's a bit more playful this one straight lace, but that's where the humor comes in. So I kind of enjoyed that. I, I enjoy his interpretation of it. I'm sad that we're not going to get it anymore. He's already Might said be, yeah. like, yeah, He's I'm contracted to do three films. I'm not going to do anymore. And we can assume that the way that this franchise is going to go forward, it's going to be a very hard reboot with nobody yep. continuing, which is just kind of like, no, we'll reference this again later on when we're wrapping things up. But I don't know where they go from here with like the Q character. I don't know how they do something that's the same without it being, ah, it's the same thing. We like this better or do something different without it being, well, that's just not Q in some ways. And, you know, like kind of worried about that, but I guess that's up to them to be able to figure out and then up to us to bitch and complain about if it sucks or to rave about if it's great. Um, but I like this whole thing with Q helping them out. I liked uh, that money. Penny was a part of that too. You get, more stuff for Bunny uh, Money Penny going forward. You know, she's always she's always helping out a little bit, whether it's you know making sure that Bond doesn't actually quit or it's giving him a little bit extra boost on the you know I'm gonna get Q to help you out with sending you some gadgets or whatever. So I'm a big fan of that. Uh, this is the last uh, the last time that a James Bond film had M, Q, Money Penny, and Felix together. Take a guess. Um, trying to think. Would it be um, License to Kill? It would be License to Kill. Yeah, I was going to say License to Kill as well. Now, if you add, so I know, uh, so I know they, they didn't have Felix for any of the Brosnan's ones. All right, and you if you add Tanner to the mix, never happened because uh, oh. we didn't get Felix in the Brosnan ones, which we had Tanner in. Tanner is in For Your Eyes Only, which we don't have M in. Nor is uh, Felix in for your eyes only. Yeah, Money Penny is never in um, Casino Royale or Quantum of Solace. So. Yeah, it's just kind of. This is the only movie that has MQ, Money Penny, Felix, and Tanner. Appropriate. Hit all the right notes before all of the actors say goodbye. You got all the allies in there. You got. Uh, I don't remember what part of the movie it is, but there's a scene in like mi6 where m is sitting in this one spot and there are all these portraits of the other m's you can see judy dench you could see i think bernard lee and robert brown i've seen some things that say it's just robert brown but i can't imagine that they don't have bernard lee there he's the one that you should have there i loved that they had that 
because why wouldn't you have like these other M's? You know, if you go to like the White House, you see, you know, a portrait of Kennedy and like whatnot. But these other M's out there, like he's in this like hall of M kind of thing. Like, you know, what would my predecessors have done in this kind of scenario? Am I fucking it up or whatever? And we got another F bomb in the movie too. Mm. More pronounced one than when M says, I really fucked this up, didn't I? He, he just says like, for fuck's sake or something. I forget what he says. Yeah. But, uh, I like that. You know, you one F bomb in a PG 13 movie, but I love the portraits of M M's M and M's, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> M and M and M and M. There you go. Um, try to remember what comes around this point. Uh, eventually we get Madeline. Uh, am I bouncing around too much? What happens around this? Oh, no, that, 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 no, that's right about. So we find out that uh, this is a point where Bond's told that uh, Blofeld will only speak to one person because they want to talk to Blofeld about what that's happened right. with the Spectre party. And it says they'll only talk to one person and it cuts away to Madeline, who is going to another therapist appointment with uh, Safin. A weird patient, as one says. Yeah, yeah, like, weird you can't say that. And he sits there and he talks all creepily and Madeline... Madeline's dealt with this sort of thing before, so she's just talking back at him and trying to get him to open up a little bit. And then he hands her a box which contains the broken mask that he was wearing on the day that he killed his mother, killed her mother and uh, saved her life. And so she freaks out. Well, doesn't really freak out, but like is internally freaking out as he describes everything and just talks about the thing that I mentioned earlier about the fact that now she's binded to him. And so he just asks her for a favor, which essentially the favor is to take the vial, which contained the Project Heracles containing Blofeld's DNA. And so he wants her to go on her next visit to him to have it on her hands, touch Blofeld. And obviously that would kill Blofeld because the nanobots would pass into his system. And it's uh, we get later on, we find out that this is the whole thing where he's able to get like the strand of her hair. Uh, he's talking about the whole if you ingest this plant, it'll kill you, whatever. So we're setting up a little bit of that. It's pretty deep into the movie and we're finally starting to get into like some staff and stuff. Um, they do this setup with the. You know, the prison cell. Bond's there, Madeline's there. It's that whole, oh, the tension, that kind of deal. And Bond grabs Madeline. So he's got the nano virus now. Yeah. Yeah. Because Madeline was going to, it was panicking and decided that she was going to not do it. And so leaves. But then Bond grabs her. He gets the virus transferred onto his hands. And so it means that he's got it on him when Blowfield comes through. And then we have the tense discussion scene between, well, I say tense with Christopher Waltz's Blofeld. It's never really that tense. Yeah, like, cuckoo. <laughs> yeah, but he, I, I, I like this exchange between them because now you've established who Blofeld is after Spectre, and we could, we all had, we all had our opinions on that version, like Blofeld and that thing, and just the whole, the whole process behind it. But now that you've established it, it makes this conversation real because Bond comes across, I don't say different, but he's very just Over animated. It. Yeah, animated and over it at the same time. Just like saying, like, oh, come on, just just do it. That type of that type of attitude. Whereas Blofeld is just toying with him, playing games with him. And then he reveals the 
well, what ends up for him to be the killer blow, which is that he revealed that uh, he staged the ambush to make it appear as if Madeline had betrayed him in the first place. Yeah, because the he knew that Vesper's the, bomb. Yeah, because oh. he knew that the only way, because he didn't want to kill him, but the only way that he could get revenge truly is to make him feel as empty and alone and isolated in his own life as he feels in his cell. It's an exchange that I'm going to have to go back and check out multiple times before I make a full judgment call. I like it, but I got a feeling if I rewatch it, I might not like it as much. Or I might like it a lot more. It's kind of... For a one-time viewing, I'm not too sure how to process it, but I liked quite a bit of it. I think I would have liked it more without the silly reveal in the last movie about them actually being related. Oh, yeah, I completely agree about that. If they were just two people that happened They're to cross paths, it would be better than... rivals. Like, I, I think that was too much of an add-on. And I think maybe there's the idea of, oh, that makes what happens next all the more intense. But actually, it just kind of ruins it for me. Because if Blofeld is just the mastermind of all of Bond's hardships, then, you know, the tension... Is even more palpable to me. I agree. Um, I still hate the idea that it's all like, that's oh, your long lost half stepbrother or whatever. That's stupid as all hell. Um, but he says just die Blofeld, I think. Yeah, because like he literally grabs him and it just says, just die Blofeld, just die. And then he, well, dies. And that well, was like a weird moment. Well, it wasn't that his intention at the end of it because he was choking him, but then he, he finally relented and they have a Tanner just berates him outside for the idea that he just broken the the one rule of interrogation. You don't lose your call in front of the person you're interrogating. And then they turn back and look and Blofeld slumped over because the virus has got him. See, now, if he would have just offered Bond a delicatessen and stainless steel, he wouldn't have been so mad and he wouldn't have just choked him. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Mr. Bond! <laughs> so Blofeld's dead. Spectre's dead. Felix is dead. At this point this in the movie, I'm like, they're killing Bond. They definitely are killing Bond. They're just killing everyone. Well, they're not going to kill Madeline, but they're killing Bond. Okay, I'm getting myself prepared for it. I actually thought that they were going to kill off him, too. Well, I think they already killed off the more notable M yeah. in Judy Dench. At this point, are you starting to get the vibe of like, all right, they're just doing it to do it, or are you still in for the ride? Uh, to spoil a little bit of how I feel about the movie, the first third of this movie I think is great. The second third of this movie I think is pretty damn good. The third third of this movie I don't like. Uh, for you know functional reasons and for the choices that they've made, but like I am starting to dip down in that thing where here, where I'm like, I'm getting a sense that they're doing some things for the sake of doing some things. And it's taken me out of the movie because when a movie does that, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, I'll, I'll say this too. Like, uh, for instance, I'll use power Rangers as an example. Uh, the 2017 power Rangers movie. I think that's when it came out. There's a part at the end, this isn't really spoiling anything, it's, like, the movie's been out long enough that you should 
should have just seen it or you won't already. But at the very end, after the whole, uh, you know, the villains are taking care of and whatever and everybody's celebrating, there's a quick shot where there's Amy Jo Johnson and Jason David Frank, the ones that are the Pink Ranger and the Green Ranger in the TV series. And they're just among the people and they're taking pictures with their cell phones. And everybody in the audience goes, ah, yeah, that's them. And I'm like, well, fuck, now you just made me think that it's it's the movie that I'm watching. And I'm not watching the movie. I'm experiencing watching a movie in the theater. And sometimes that bugs me when they do that. Like, knowing that I'm watching a movie and taking me out of the movie, I'm usually not a big fan of it. Uh, we talk about this all the time when talking about professional wrestling, but it's literally the suspension of disbelief. This is breaking kayfabe in some ways yeah. with some of those things. And when I'm watching a movie and I feel like I can tell why the writer did something other than that, it served the function of the story. Sometimes I end up being like, okay, now I'm kind of resenting the writer and we'll get into more specifics about that later on. But yeah, I mean, I am kind of sloping down, but I got a feeling Callum might be sloping up a little bit. Are you kind of, uh, getting more like, Oh man, the stakes are like really high on this one and I'm really getting pumped kind of deal. I was I was really enjoying the way that it was going. And well, I'll get into the reasons why I understand I look put it this way, I understand why you and I think Rob as well are gonna have some negative interpretations and I get what you're saying of it. I'm going to justify why I just don't think that's the case, right. at least on my perspective of it. I th- well, we'll get into well, it more I, I as mean, it happens. I mean, if you want to spoil it, I can go now, now and talk about it. But Well, we know I mean, the way that this is going to play out. I am on the negative side. Calum's on the positive. Rob's a little bit in the middle. I'm right, I'm right <laughs> in the middle, yeah. It's good. We've had that with a couple of different things. So we, we're we going to have a bulk of a discussion with that thing. Because they then introduce another big, 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 one of the biggest plot points of the whole thing. The five-year-old daughter, Matilda. Who yeah. Madeline very quickly says it's not yours yeah of course and it's like bullshit (laughs) yeah well bond knows he just just says the eyes right he just knows immediately that like she's not going to i guess not gonna play into it yeah Yeah. she's mad at him but they've only just they've only just gone back and so like so she she can't she can't trust him immediately to do that that was really annoying like what good at the end of the day did that lie serve anyone you know just it's yours he's gonna protect her like it's his anyway just say it's his well i think it's the the angry bitter ex kind of thing yeah well i think i think think that's right it's like she doesn't want to okay he's back and i still love him because of just like that doesn't doesn't change it changes things but obviously it doesn't like end what we went through or anything like that but she can't like immediately just go. Oh yeah, I had a daughter as well. It's like he's just gotten back in her life, essentially. So, be a bit of a immediate step to take. But he knows, so it doesn't it doesn't change anything. He knows, but that's I think that's the important thing is the fact that he knows, but she's not going to be the one to admit it yet. How do you guys feel about Matilda? I think it was for what just the rest of the movie goes. It's the complete right decision to have. Bond have a daughter, and yeah, I, I thought that she she played her role pretty well. She was quite funny in the moments where she needed to be funny, and she was I was like I was like scared or anything like that, but like she she was 
intelligent. She, first of all, kid is cute as a button. Um, she plays her role so well, right down to being apathetic when she needs to be. It's like, God, I wonder which parent she got that from because she <laughs> uh, was wonderful seeing her interact with Savin. Not the biggest like fan of the actress. Uh, kid actors and actresses no, you are children and everything. <laughs> I do kind of have a tendency of not liking the kids and different things, but like, uh, I think that they could have probably gotten another little kid that maybe uh, popped on screen a little bit more, but she played her part well enough. Like her part's not something that's this most dynamic role in the world. So it's like, yeah, you know, fine. I do like the decision that I know there's some people that they would go like, well, why doesn't bond have a little boy? And it's like, well, no, he has a little girl because that's a good way to balance out how some of the franchise has been so goddamn bad when it comes to women. And Bond's soft spot is women. And even though it's not a woman in the same traditional sense, like there's something that speaks to the father daughter relationship, obviously father, daughter, father, son, son, mother, whatever. They're all kind of differences, mother, daughter, there's different connection points for different things. But like, if you're going to go with the protective thing, father protecting daughter, that's probably the strongest thing that you can get. So I knew way into this movie. I mean, we talked about it with predictions and stuff. I'm like, yeah, Bond's getting a daughter. Tony Stark yeah. got a daughter. You know, it, it's how it works. That's how it should be. If Bond's going to have some kind of a kid, it should be a daughter. I don't like the name Matilda. <laughs> I wasn't crazy about the name. That also, yeah, I'm not, not a fan of the name Matilda. <laughs> Wouldn't have gone that, with that. And then you're just splitting hairs, though. I, yeah, that's I, yeah, that's whatever. I like the way the kid was portrayed because I think why wouldn't you be kind of subdued and kind of a little standoffish if your mother knows to protect you at all costs, and then it's like just built into your DNA because of who your father is. DNA built in throughout this movie. Yeah, there you go. I will say I'm very, very glad they did not go with Jane or Jamie. If they would have tried to be like, oh, it's Jane Bond in the next bunch of years, I would have been like, God damn it, fuck this, (laughs) you know? Even though I don't like the Matilda name, if they would have tried Jamie Bond, I would have been like, you fucking gotta be kidding me. (laughs) What what don't you like about the name Matilda? I just don't like the name itself. Okay. Yeah, well, it's just case, like personal it's, it's preference. Madeline's yeah. daughter. Yeah, but Madeline named her, so it's like it's, it should have nothing to do with James at all, really. No, uh, but it, really, that's where I'm like, I'd rather have the name Matilda than Jane or James or Jamie yeah. or you know that kind of In deal. In a like, different era, like if we're cutting this off at the Moore era, that daughter is definitely named Jane Bond. Yeah, <laughs> it'd be terrible if that's the case. But yeah, like personally speaking, Matilda is not a name that I'm a big fan of. Like I, I probably could have gone through. 20,000names.com if that still exists and I probably would have had like you know 30 other ones that I would have picked over Matilde just a personal preference thing it's not something that's like I mean all opinions are subjective as it is but that's a very very subjective just personal preference not a big fan of the name Matilde um, so we get blah 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 we go over to Safin's headquarters uh, oh wait no we, I'm, skipping, I'm skipping the big, big <laughs> thing here yeah I've totally forgot yeah, uh, there's a little there's a little bit of stuff so they Logan uh, the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> so, so they managed to figure out where, like, because they do a thing where he tracking like they've been tracking Logan, 
and they figure out that he's in Norway where they basically says like no you're supposed to be tracking Logan not me and then Bond clicks and realizes that Logan's on top of him they do a car chase scene where they're in this pretty Wins. just standard well standard four by four and then driving around this giant entourage chasing them down you get the classic cars crashing all over the place giant explosions helicopter he goes into the woods and then it gets very um cerebral almost it's like bond doing a load of um uh special uh like traps and stuff like that but uh just immediately shooting people as soon as like he flips the car over and stuff like that he's just like immediately on it shooting them down trying to lead people away from madeline and matilde, uh, matilde. yeah and from Eminem. <laughs> Yeah, and then they do. It's uh, one of my favorite moments of the entire movie is uh, Logan's death. Love it because it's just so what you'd expect from. It's like that's the sort of death that uh, Roger. Moore, I'm kind of glad Roger Moore's not alive to see that type of thing <laughs> because that's the sort of thing that he was very much against of him being just a very just cold blooded guy. But he, this guy killed Felix, and Felix is his best friend, was his best friend, and it's just a case of. He tries to bar his way out of it, and Bond just says, "No, I'm not gonna, not gonna do it," and just knocks the car down, lands right on top of him, rolls away over him. That's yeah, yeah. He Perfect says, uh, "I had a brother, and his name was Felix." I got a brother. <laughs> hey, I got a brother. Uh, yeah, Roger Moore yeah. wouldn't have liked it because he didn't like when he kicked uh, Locke yeah. in uh, "For Your Eyes Only." But this is very Connery and very, uh, you want it, you take it, old buddy from License to Kill from. Dalton, great way to kill off uh, Logan Ash with just knocking the car down to crush him. And also, because he could have just left it at I had a brother and not say anymore, and you could have thought, well, does he mean Blofeld? I like that he clarifies, no, I saw Felix Slater as a brother. Mm-hmm. My brother from Langley. Kind of thing. Cool action sequence. I like that quite a bit. I thought it was really strange. There's one part of it that we had seen it in the trailers and I was like, maybe it works better in the movie, but there is a weird part where uh, the car flips and he just kind of shoots a little bit at the car. I, I don't know why that just, it's just strange. Cause it's just like, it's just kind of like something like I would do in GTA or whatever. You know? <laughs> um, big fan of that. And then we end up getting into our last third of this movie, which is the, concrete structure in the middle of an island between Japan and Russia that is a nanobot factory that is calling back a little bit of Dr. No and calling a little bit of the man with the golden gun and the set here, the design is very Ken Adams from Dr. No. Uh, that I thought it was very cool. I loved the way that the uh, production design and everything was on here. Very, very cool. One of my favorite parts of this movie was just looking at like that kind of set. And the grand scheme of this whole thing, before we get into the very, very end of this whole thing, um, Bond is reinstated as 007. Uh, Nomi's like, hey, I want him to be reinstated as 007, which is a cool moment on her part. So he is going to go out as 007. And Obertrev bites the bullet with Nomi saying uh, it's time to die or whatever and kicking him into that. I guess it's like radioactive poison type of stuff or whatever. It's a vat of nanobots, essentially. Yeah. So I'm, I'm guessing the idea is that as soon as they got a taste of his DNA, they pretty much just dissolved him. 
That's disturbing. <laughs> like, that's a really weird. It reminded me of like um, the mummy, where you get eaten by scarabs and stuff like that towards the end of it. Of certain people. I we haven't done anything like that. It's just, uh, that's one you does. You've seen the mummy before? <laughs> it's just kind of the, the way that you phrased that. That was funny. Just like, you know, like, as one does. There's certain people, like, they get eaten by scarabs, you know? Yeah, yeah. Some, well, some people like Almond Joy, some people like Mound, some people get eaten by scarabs, you know? <laughs> yeah. I thought it was funny. Well, yeah. I mean, it's just the, the whole facility is mass producing these nanobots now. So their original plan is to just go in and destroy Heracles because they assumed it was just, you know, they, they can only get so much out of it, and they destroyed the the floor beforehand. So they assume, oh, it's just the same thing. But now they've figured out a way of mass producing it even further for uh, uh, Safin's overall uh, plan. And so now, like, we're going to need more explosives in the same way. We're going to need a bigger boat right now. Basically, basically, there's their Jaws moment. And so they have to figure out a different way of approaching this, which is essentially Bond is going to go deal with Safin and try and get Matilda and uh, Madeline back. So we get the standoff kind of scene. Uh, it's more Neil off, really. Yeah, Neil off. Uh, Bond is uh, he, he's in a position where Matilda's being held hostage by Safin, and. He tries to get out of it, you know, he, he he gets his couple of kills in and whatever, but eventually we get to a point where Matilde bites Safin and he's like, oh, if you don't want my protection, then fucking leave. And she does. I, I do like the little exchange between Safin and Bond in the sense that Safin's whole justification for this whole thing is that he's like Bond, only that his method is a bot cleaner than what Bond would do, which essentially is Safin taking out people who he thinks are a, a scourge on the planet. And so trying to eliminate as many of them as possible. Um, but essentially, I do what you do, which take bad people out, but you do it with your gun while I'm doing it with finesse, almost. Yeah. So he thinks that he's essentially Bond, but better. And Bond's typical response is, yeah, I'm here because you like people like you exist. Essentially, just calling me a nut job without calling her a nut job. Yeah, um, really great back and forth between them. I, I enjoy the tenseness of that. I have to say, Rami might be one of my favorite actors that's going today. And Craig, while I don't love his Bond, got a lot of love for him in the way that he portrayed Bond. Like, I think this experiment of doing one through line story was very fun, even if it won't rank like my top Bond movie of all time. I'll, I'll hold off on my opinions about those. Uh, when we're getting a little bit deeper into the ranking things, um, Matilda mm-hmm. loses her, a doo I think is what she called it. Yeah, little, the bunny, yeah. little bunny thing, and Bond eventually picks it up. Yeah, while he's doing his his big final climactic action thing, where he has to essentially shoot his way through the entire, because he gets Madeline and uh, Matilda to safety, they they uh, sail away with uh, Nomi, 
and we get he gets to just go in he needs to kill everyone in his path climb up to the bunker and open up the doors there's a so, fun little but, moment where q is like oh this is a complicated thing he's like got it <laughs> you know, just yeah, kinda... yeah yeah they had a bit of humor into it even yeah. if it was like uh, a, a desperate situation but the idea is they open the silo doors and that means that they can launch the missiles which they've been trying to get through for a while but even though it's going to cause a giant international incident they realize they have to do it in the and so they've launched the missiles. He's got about nine minutes to get out of the, off the island. But as he's about to leave, he real he turns back and the uh, silo doors are closing again. And so here's, he to- here's where you get uh, something that I both loved and hated. He knows he has to go back. He has to open up the doors again. But he knows that it's just he's got to kill Safin or else Safin's just going to shut it again. And... Safin's able to shoot Bond a couple times and they have this scuffle in this uh, this water that they've got going on and whatever. The the big garden kind of thing. And Safin breaks his vial of uh, Madeline and Matilde's uh, DNA. So at this point, Bond will never be able to physically interact with either of them and realistically speaking anybody because if anybody interacts with bond they get infected with the nanovirus if bond goes anywhere and interacts with a single person he basically has just killed the two of them i mean to be uh well yeah it's more of a case of like he's only got madeline and matilde's virus so essentially, it's the idea that if he touched anyone, and then they eventually got through to yeah, like if he Madeline were to like shake hands with him, and then M was like, oh, like you know, uh, here's a pat on the head from a tilt, she's dead. Yeah, As, yeah. Know? Essentially, he yeah, essentially he carries the one thing that could just see their doom if it just like through osmosis ended up just getting through to one of those two. So he knows that it's a it's the worst kind of situation to be in. And I love the way that. Like he does that, and Rami just uh, not that Rami, but uh, Safin gets his uh his little words in about the entire thing, saying that he didn't want to do it and all that other stuff. Uh, I do appreciate the fact that he didn't quit. Oh, I love that he or just did, shoots him. Yeah, he just shoots with the face because he is done. Yeah, like, this is the this is the this is the last thing that you could like. It's 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 why I mean I'll talk about Safin a little bit more when we get towards the end of it, but it's. The ultimate thing you could do to Bond is to rob him of his final chance of being happy. And he just, yep, kill, kill him immediately. Just And then, okay, the only thing I've got now is to complete this mission. I might argue that that could be the best villain death, just because it's so to the point of like, all right, well, nothing to live for. Bang, 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 he's dead. All right, what, what are we doing? Like, let's just wrap this up. There's a huge difference between Bond just shooting Carl Stromberg in The Spy Who Loved Me versus Bond just shooting Safin here. It is leaps and bounds different. And it's one of my favorite parts of the movie is him just, yep, fuck you. Bang, 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 bang. You're dead. Love that. Absolutely love that. That's the asshole type of Bond. I mean, it's not an asshole thing. I mean, he obviously deserves it. But, like, that's the brutal killer Bond 
moment that you need in that kind of a moment. If he would have quipped and said something, it would have been like, why are you fucking joking around, dude? You know, like, I love that. And yeah, push comes to shove. He's got to open up the doors again and he's bleeding out and he can't go anywhere. So the missiles hit and fucking James Bond dies. Yeah, they yeah. have the, yeah, the um, emotional final conversation with Madeline. They reveal the fact that he's got the virus on him now. And that's the moment where he basically says, yeah, I'm not going to make it. He says the line, like, you you have all the time in the world to those two again, which is kind of like, again, just bring it back full circle. And she finally reveals in the final thing that, like, she does have your eyes. And then he says like i know and then the missiles just come raining down on top of him and there's no like there's no it's not a case like it cuts away and you can you're left with like the moment of feeling like okay he managed to get out of it somehow and we'll see something at the end of it no they make it very clear that he's blown up in the process and yeah it was a it's one of the strangest moments i've ever seen they've ever felt fit watching a movie like that's uh that feeling of just complete investment and fear and sadness and just all comes when it like I was seeing the movie, people were openly crying mm-hmm. in the in, in the uh, cinema while I was watching it. It was just yeah, it was a real punch to the gut. Did you cry, Tony? Didn't cry. To be honest, I was more angry. No, I imagine that would be the case. I I felt. There was this part of me that was just like, but did he, just because it's James Bond and you want it to be, but like, they made it very clear that he was gone now, and it's a hell of a write-off for not only this character, who's the past five movies has told a great story, but just James Bond, and most of the main Bond characters are all dead. And you just sort of go, well, now there's no fucking choice but to reboot this franchise. It's the other alternative and, names for the title. <laughs> no fucking choice but to reboot this franchise. No time to yeah, die. I mean, really, it should have been because where else do you go from here? And they've already made it clear they're not stopping the franchise. If this was a goodbye to, the, to everything 007 altogether, that's fine. But they've made it very clear they're not stopping the franchise. So now what? So part of me was very, very angry. And part of me at the same time was very like proud that that you called it that no, not so much that because I, mean, I, I was leaning more towards and it was probably mostly just me hoping that it was the case. I was like, no, nah, they, they can have Madeline potentially die and Bond can stay with his daughter at the end, that kind of deal. But I was kind of proud that they they got me with the red herring of the bunny because i was like they could do something in this movie where it's like bond's dead or whatever and then suddenly the bunny pops up like matilde's got a shipment in the mail and it's the bunny and it's like oh is bond actually out there did he actually manage to escape did they actually figure out a way for q to get the nanobot off of him because they're just like yep can't take it off it's like, no, you have an EMP thing. Oh, I forgot to mention, I fucking love how he kills Primo. 
with the EMP uh, and it blows up his eyeball and he says, yeah, I showed him your watch yeah. and it blew his mind. I loved that. I thought that was fantastic. Okay. And they give you your clip there because they're not going to give it to you. Right. Happened. Yeah. I thought that was fantastic. That was one of my favorite parts of the movie. But I'm like, maybe they could figure out a way. Maybe the EMP disables something. Maybe whatever. Maybe they could do the bunny thing. And then they show the fact that the missile hit him. And I'm like, nah, damn it. Damn it to hell. And one of the biggest talking points we're going to have here that we, you know, obviously we're going to keep going back on, but I'll, I'll come back to this. But the movie goes after that point. Uh, there is a, a momentary drink to honor Bond with Money Penny, M, Q, Tanner, Nomi. Uh, and M reads a line from something and he had says, I forget most of it, but the major point being, I shall not waste my days in trying to prolong them which has been in the books before. So I popped for that. I was like, oh, hey, that was, uh, I think they used it in one of uh, Bond's obituaries in the book. I'm like, I know yeah. that line. I've used that in essays before. I shall not waste my days in trying to prolong them. I like that. Uh, they just go uh, back to work kind of deal. And we don't know if Nomi is 007. We don't know if she is whatever the other double O that Bond had taken over originally or if they've retired the 007 number because they could have potentially done that. And we're not going to know because the series is not going to continue this on. Thankfully, that's the case. My hope is that they're retired it, but we're not going to know. So it doesn't matter. In my head canon, that's what happened. That Nomi took over whatever the double O that he was given, like 001 or whatever. And they were like, okay, well, no more 007s because he was the best kind of deal that's my head cannon at the very least and uh the movie ends with uh madeline with matilde and she says i'm gonna tell you a story about a man named bond james bond very good yeah and then it cuts to um louis armstrong singing we have all the time in the world eventually we get our credits and the credits pop up James Bond will return. Mm-hmm. And I was like, when the credits were popping up and people were talking, uh, I was like, if they say 007 will return, I'm going to be pissed. Because <laughs> then that means that they're going to do a Nomi spinoff, which Barbara, Barbara Broccoli at this point has said they have no plans on really doing that. They're like, we know that the franchise is about the central character. We've thought about doing stuff before. Never say never again and uh you know but we we're gonna reboot and all that so it's james bond will return i was glad that they put that out there because if they wouldn't have for the next however many years especially with the way that they've been doing this franchise you know daniel craig spent more time as bond and did less films than like roger moore did uh i don't want to wait 10 years to find out that they actually are doing another Bond film. I want to know now that they're doing another Bond film down the line because I love these movies. So it's like, yeah, tell me you're going to do more Bond films. And uh, if they would have done 007 will return, I would have been like, nah, it's going to mean that they're going to recast. Uh, they're they're going to do this. They're going to do Nomi. They're going to whatever. And I wouldn't want to have seen a, a Nomi spinoff film. I didn't like her character enough. I was actually thinking at the point where she relinquished the 00 number I was like, if they give her her own spinoff, they're going to change her character because her character is not enough to be the lead of a movie that I would really enjoy. But we're getting another James Bond film in some fashion down the line. At least that's the plan. We'll see how that works. But 
uh, people are the the best way to phrase this movie is the word divisive. And it's not just because of the way that they do things, but how they do things and why they do things. And even just the fact that you've heard it in this, this review, there are a lot of things I really liked about this movie. And there's a lot that I really don't like. I don't ultimately like how the Craig era went. This makes me like the other movies less. I think this is a fascinating experiment for the franchise to tell one story. But ultimately, I think I enjoyed the idea of the one-off Bond films more. And the more we talked about it here, the more I realized uh, they really did just kill off everybody, perhaps for the sake of just killing everybody off. No, I again, I'm just in the complete opposite boat. I feel, I feel the same way now, and comfortable with the impression of the Bond movies. In the same way, I feel like the Tobey Maguire Spider Man is not. Tom Holland Spider-Man. I see them now all as separate universes, retelling of the same character. We'll see what happens in a couple of months. <laughs> oh, we'll see. Because <laughs> December is coming along. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, because yeah, no, they'll both be in the same thing. But right. we'll talk about it. But it's just the worst kept secret in Hollywood. Everybody's like, it's not yeah, happening. No, it's yeah, like, no. yeah, there's fucking footage yeah. of Andrew Garfield. But, <laughs> yeah, but I saw this as I see th- these five movies of Craig's as the reinterpretation of one obviously split into five parts but one overarching story of bond's life from the moment that he starts as being a double o or just like in the early months of being a double o in casino royale where he's super like the blunt instrument as you talk about and completely reckless to a degree and then the best thing happens and it kind of changes the perspective it hardens him and then we see the process throughout the the other movies in very with various quality obviously the moments of like M, the uh, M uh, dying, and all these other game-changing moments for him, and then it all culminates in the No Time to Die. I was one of the people, and I, I never wanted to admit it to like Tony or anything like that, but I was what, probably one of the few people going into No Time to Die secretly hoping Bond would die. Uh, I figured you would, yeah. And At the end of to it. a certain extent, I, I like kind of was too, in a little bit, because I'm like that is the way to like. End things one. if you want to end yeah. it, you know. It, it's the way that we like, reference the Craig series in general. The Craig series of Bond movies are a tragedy. They are they're action packed and they still have funny moments and you still get all they still get more or less of the gadgets, but you still get the gadgets, you still get the characters, you still get like the explosions, the fight scenes, all that other stuff. So it has all of the foundations of the Bond, but Bond movie, Bond movie formula to a degree. But it doesn't have the super jovial aspect of the fact that you're basically watching a one and done movie, one and done action movie. Whereas this one, everything that happens has some sort of interconnected tissue surrounding it. And like this is a Bond who we watch evolve and progress and we know why he's doing things because we've seen it all. You can only really truly appreciate No Time to Die if you've seen all the other five movies. Yeah. Or all the other four movies of Christ. They didn't. 
Yeah, I know. And it's I a day was like, yeah, a different way. Yeah, well, my brother's like that as well. So I, I watched it with my brother, and my brother hadn't seen um, Spectre. Ah. So, he like, would, he, couldn't get, yeah. he couldn't get a lot of that stuff. He, he still enjoyed the movie, but, like, he couldn't get into all the stuff that I was getting because I'd seen all the movies leading up to it. So, I... And, to me, it just elevates the series above anything else like i'm gonna be kind of i would say relieved but if they do move back to the formula of one-off movies and the next bond is more prototypical of what we've seen in the past and that's fine but i don't think i'd ever develop an appreciation of the bond franchise that i have developed if it wasn't for craig's arc as bond i think that it's the most sophisticated it's the most uh grown up it's just a a really interesting narrative through start to finish of just this one character and how that how he got to be how he ended up being and the way that he passed away is just it's just so typical of that's why i didn't really see it as like oh they're just killing people for the sake of killing people no this guy this guy has the worst life in the you know so always oh, the best this life's the best isn't it that type of thing but this guy has a one of the most difficult upbringings ever and it's only fitting that this guy on the in the cusp of the moment where he's going to be happy and get to live his life with a wife and child and move on and just retire and get out of the service in particular that's the moment where the final tragedy hits and yeah it's I think it's it's not going to be for everyone. That's why I don't have a, an issue with people that are negative towards the movie because they have different interpretations and you don't really want to see a character that you've grown so fun with just, I guess, suffer as much as this guy does almost. But to me, it was just, it's it's so much more powerful that way. So all the other Bond movies I can watch and really have fun with, I feel like when watching from Casino Royale all the way through, it's like I'm just... Yeah, I'm I'm watching something that matters. It feels like the rest of it is just like oh, it's, yeah, it's loads and loads of fun enjoyment. I'm having a good time watching it. But this one is the, the Daniel Craig arc is the Bond series, which I feel like matters. In my own interpretation. Yeah, I think this was really fun, but overall. I think a lot of the diehards are going to hate what this series of movies ended up being for the franchise because, you know, you might just get the sense of, hey, this thing is old, so we're wiping it out. But they still had enough sense to say, we won't do 007 without Bond. So they're very aware in that way. It's just they wanted to try something different with the franchise. I respect them for that. You just see it as a different interpretation. Yeah. Like, if you look at it that way, then you're more than welcome to dislike the Craig series of films or to look at them and say, like, that was an experiment which I didn't appreciate, but I can at least understand why they did it or the fact that people do like it that way. If you can do that, then that's totally fine. And everyone has their own opinions of different things like Moore's interpretation of Bond is completely different to Connery's interpretation of Bond. They're just they're just done in the kind of like the same sort of formula way of the one-off movie in particular, but they're completely different approaches to doing that one-off movie formula. Craig's one takes both a, a different interpretation of the character but then a different interpretation of how the character should be presented. 
as well. A good so way to why. approach how you look at something like this, now that we know how this started and ended, is uh, the way that you look at Batman. Uh, Batman, if to some people, Batman is Michael Keaton. It's those two movies. To some people, it's those two movies plus to the um, two sequels, two Batman Forever Batman. and Batman and Robin. To some people, Batman is Bruce Timm's Batman the Animated Series, potentially the some of the follow-ups like Batman and Robin, uh, that kind of deal. To some people, that also extends to Justice League. To some people, that also even extends to Batman Beyond, since it is the same universe. And then you got certain comics runs. Some people, like uh, right. Zack Snyder, and I disagree with this kind of uh, uh, thing, is that their Batman is... Dark Knight Returns, bitter old Batman kind of deal. And when you watch there certain movies... There are some movies, people who are like, nope, I only want Camp and I only want Adam right. West. And, and if they... There's some people that had seen the Tim Burton movie and they were like, why is this dark? Batman It should be doing the Bat-Tootsie. And, you know, like, <laughs> why isn't he dancing and all this, like, you know. And if you like the one thing, you like the other things, you might like all of them. I hate, for instance, like, the the Batman 60s show, I think that it's just not for me. I don't like camp type stuff that's like that. And I, at the same time, people go, oh, okay, well, then you like the Batman that's like this brutal killer. And I'm like, no, I like the Batman who is dark and mysterious, but that doesn't kill. And like, so it bugs me when I watch a movie like Batman v Superman, where he's just killing people left and right. And I'm like, yeah, he shouldn't kill people. But then I'm also like, ah, it's pretty much as close to Batman as you can get minus a couple things. And the Bond series has always been like there's different ways to navigate different detours and everything. Judging this as a five part series as a whole now, I remain firm with my assertion that one of the biggest flaws with the Craig era is it doesn't want Bond to be Bond. It wants him to become Bond and then retire from Bond. They literally did two and a half films setting him up and then two and a half films of him being old yeller and ending it. And I know that you can argue, and some people will, hey, we've already seen 20 films of him being Bond. So? If they had one movie out of this five where he was just full-blown 007, then I pretty much would have to shut my mouth. But for my tastes, logically speaking, the first film should have been setting up becoming 007 that we know. And number two, he's mostly a fully realized Bond, but he's still kind of getting the hang of it. Number three, he's full-blown in the swing of things. Number four, he's winding down a little bit. And then number five is a conclusion just by mathematically balancing it out. But there's been so much that we've talked about with Casino Royale onward that they actively throw away a lot of things. Like, we're not going to do that gadget bullshit anymore. He's not going to say Bond, James Bond. We're not going to do the shake and not stir. The gun barrel's not whatever. I do feel like there's a, a lot of resentment on my part now where they needed a crutch every time. Like, they didn't think that they could tell a story of these older Bond films without some kind of a hook to lean on. First one being, he, but he's just getting started as Bond. Then they went, ah, oh, fuck, we don't have anything else. Uh, so let's just redo that and go, ah, not yet. And then the third one, they went, shit. Now we can't do the, nah, not yet. So let's make him old. And then, of course, at the end, they made it the whole, like, now he's James Bond anyway, you know, because he couldn't help but do that at the end of Skyfall. And then they go straight to, 
it's the end of Bond, and he retires, and then they go, but this is the Bond film where he dies. Like, none of these movies were a Bond film because they're fun. It was always because here's the thing that we want as the talking point. And it kind of makes me worried that the next in the series is going to be literally like, you, you can refer to this movie as the Bond film where Bond dies, right? Well, yeah, and I think that's part of what they want. But I also feel like they came into this with the plan of let's tell a different story with Bond. And then when they needed to make a old dealer, they said, well, accept this because the character has been around for 50 years. Let's just tell these different stories. You use the Batman comparison and it's sort of like, all right. DC is going to release three animated movies in a year, and two of them will be The Dark Knight Returns, where he's old, because just accept it, and then the next one will be The Killing Joke. It's just like, there's all these different ways to tell the Bond stories, except this five-part arc as our one-off of how we would kill James Bond. That's something that's been bugging me about a lot of movies, though, like the Batman thing in particular. The Batman movies that we've gotten recently, to spoiler, some of the uh, spoiler alerts for them, you know, the uh, Christian Bale one, it starts off, Batman begins. The second one, Batman retires. The third one, Batman essentially dies. So it's like they can't, I'm worried that these franchises are getting to the point where they feel like they can't tell the story unless they've got that going on. And I'm worried that the next part of the Bond films are quote if they'd use the tagline they wouldn't use this as a tagline well they, they probably would you know but a bond film because it's a reboot not here's the story for it it's just go see it because it's a reboot but i think Do you know what i'm getting that kind of like uh in the age of marketing as it is that's probably a fine spin on it whether you and I like it or not, you know what I mean? It will just be, all right, it's been three years. Look who's back. And it'll be, you know, let's say uh, Henry Cavill or maybe even a more grown up Tom Holland, let's say. And (laughs) it's like now he's Bond and we're going to go a little bit back to the golden eye era. And we're going to do this for the fun nostalgia of it. And maybe that will be the hook of, oh, we're not going to tell the three-part arc of he's here, he retires, he dies. We're just going to have a fun Bond movie and go from there. I really hope they don't get into this rut of the next movie, all they give a shit about is that it's a reboot and that they don't have anything like a fundamental good story to tell. And then in the one after that, it's like, oh, it's a Bond film because in this one, he is missing an arm. And in this Bond film, it's Bond, but he's not able to speak for the whole movie because he's rendered mute in the opening credits. And it's the it's the one where he can't talk. Where like in in this one, Bond's a robot. Like you know what I mean? Like I don't I don't think they're gonna go down that fucking crazy. But like I don't want it to be. Here's the twist we did because you're we need to give you a twist or else you're not gonna care because I like the movies so I don't need the twist. You know what I mean? So let me ask you this. Is it better served to just end a franchise rather than getting to a point where you need to run these gimmicks for the sake of running them and saying, 
hey, care about this because it's the legacy of the thing. That's where you never know because with some series, I feel like they should just end it. Like, I was comfortable with Star Wars ending with Revenge of the Sith. And when they announced that they were going to do episode seven, I was like, "Uh uh-oh, I don't think you need it. You can do spinoffs and you could do like they did the Clone Wars show and I was I didn't even really watch it and everything. But I'm like, no, nah, it's the end of the story, sort of. I don't need to have anything that followed. And then of course we know full well how I feel about the, you know, the sequels. I think that they're just absolute garbage and they trash the movies that come before it. And something like the MCU, they could have ended it at Endgame, but I like that they didn't. I haven't actually liked a whole lot of stuff that's come past Endgame. Like, uh, I like Shang-Chi. Black Widow's okay. But the TV show's kind of blah. And I'm worried that they're probably just not going to be as good going forward. But hey, you know, we're going to eventually see Moon Knight. That's cool. And we're going to see whatever the hell they've got planned for this new Spider-Man thing. And like, But then you get into something like Terminator. Now, Terminator, of course... With any of these things, you know, Terminator 2 is my favorite movie of all time. James Bond is one of my favorite franchises. Star Wars was one of my favorite franchises. I say the word was because it's just not anymore. Uh, I, I'm i not super big on Indiana Jones. I think that the movies are cool. But the fact that they're doing another Indiana Jones movie is not like, oh, my God, I can't wait. And I'm just, you know, uh, I got a this intense urge to see that immediately kind of thing. I'm like, yeah, I'll check it out. That'd be cool. I hope so. But Terminator, we haven't had a good movie since Terminator 2. And the way that the last movie was, if you listened back to my review of Dark Fate, I literally, in the movie theater, without even caring about if anybody cared, said out loud, fuck this movie, (laughs) within the first 10 minutes of it, just as loud as I could. I was just like, fuck this movie. Because I was just like, ah, it just pissed me off. Because, hey, spoiler alert, because you shouldn't even see the movie. They killed John Connor in the opening of the movie and undo the entire point of it. And those movies are the type of thing where it's like, yeah, you know what? All that's happened since then is that they've killed the franchise. If Terminator one and Terminator two is it, nobody thinks anything less about it, but you get Genesis, you get Terminator three rise of the machines, you get whatever. And people are like, yeah, Terminator sucks. So it's like, I want them to do more bond films, but I don't want them to go into it thinking that they can't just do a good Bond film without a gimmick. That's kind of where I'm getting at. I think that's all going to depend on how Amazon takes the franchise going forward and really just the direction of where media goes because thanks to the MCU, everyone is obsessed with universes. Right. And, you know telling this story that's all connected now if that changes in a few years before we get a bond film maybe we do get something that's like a world's not enough but we won't really know until we're there because the trends in media are going to dictate how bond's next story is told how do you guys think that's going to play out like in terms of what like how long do i think it'll be the next thing from the Bond series that we see, what do you think it's going to be? I think you take, uh, I'm just going to 
take one of the games, like a like a Nightfall. One of the stories that was made like for a video game, or one of the stories that hasn't been told, and you're just gonna do it as like a one-off. And I don't think they'll be connected going forward. And I think it'll be about three to five years from now. I don't have any expectation for it. You're just going to see what happens? Yeah, just, yeah. yeah. Like, like, I mean, because the way that you guys talking about the uh, talk about the Craig era, the gimmick associated and stuff like that, I like because I'm just in complete disagreement in the, the gimmick category of that was what the Craig era was. Well, in my mind, it's a, a different interpretation of Bond, and based on how I'm going to rank this and how I've ranked most of the things in the Craig era, it's the best interpretation of Bond in my mind. Yeah, this is on par with so, what you like more on like, yeah. that traction on the series. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, I can't. So, if it is something along these lines, or they take a similar approach of telling, like, again, an arcing story, I don't think it necessarily will be an arcing story. I think it's something they will go back to because I feel like it works and it'd be a different interpretation. It's like every other thing, it's like they've done the same thing over and over again with whether it's, whether it isn't like Superman, super, uh, superhero thing, like they've how many times they reimagine the entire Superman story or the Batman story or anything to that extent. So there's only really so much they can do with Bond in terms of, well, there's there's only one or two things they can do. They can go back to the old formula, or they can do another arcing story. There really is no wiggle room between between those two. There's well, something that they could do. Um, yeah, you might be able to find some wiggle room in that, like, you have the consistent villain of Blofeld, but you keep the main henchman different, or the the Bond girl different, and you keep that. That's no different. Of... That's no different than what they've done before. They have had Blofeld, a consistent presence in all movies, and had different henchmen. So right. It's no, it's no different than what they've done before. But if you look at when Blofeld stops being a character, they have never really seen what they can do with keeping his presence always in the franchise. Because I think he's in like what, like the first. He's in Doctor No for Much With Love. They don't do it with Goldfinger. He comes back for Thunderball. You Only Live Twice. On Majesty Secret Service. Diamonds Are Forever. And then, yeah. like, you eventually have to start writing the character off because of, like, the legal issues and everything. Comes back for For Your Eyes Only. Like, you know, replace him with some other characters that are very yeah. similar. But my, my, my overarching point is the fact that I feel like this is a conversation that everyone has had at the end of every iteration of bond like i feel like everyone said what direction they're going to go with now sean connery's not no longer doing it what are they going to do now moore's done done after the dalton one they felt like a lot of people felt like bond was done after dalton's era and then they brought and then the gimmick attached to goldeneye was like hey bond's back guess what it's just like that was, and then, that then was that's the exactly goldeneye so that's exactly the way I see it getting relaunched here. Yeah, I don't yeah. know if it'll take seven years off, but no. But like, I'm I'm just with the the mindset of I feel like I don't want to get too hung up on this conversation of like oh what they're going to do next with because I feel like we're not the first person to have this conversation, and it's not the first one this conversation has ever been about. So it's hard. I think, oh, finish. 
No, it's, it's it's hard for me to get so you invest the idea and feel like oh that what are they going to do next oh it could go horribly wrong yeah it could go horribly wrong it could go right it's like yeah it's it's like with any it's like with anything we the the thing that I'll just even know or something like that is the fact that they'll probably if it does go horribly wrong the next time then that'll probably be a one and done Bond appearance and then they'll go back to the drawing board again and see what they do next time I don't think the franchise in particular is in any is in any danger of ever going out of business because at the end of they it just takes the right bond or the right person playing him or just one good story and people say oh bond's back and it's all all's right with the world again like but they might but the next one might fuck up there's always mm-hmm. that interpretation there's always that uh possibility the next one is a complete like write-off and it's the worst movie in the franchise's history and all that stuff that's just the risk that you take by having a franchise in the first place the way that they can come out of this is very interesting because we've never had this type of an ending before. Like when we switch over from Roger Moore, he carries over a lot of the same actors. He carries over the same continuity. We know that he eventually like with, you know, the, the grave from Tracy, like even though the ages don't match up, he has the same character is the same continuity. It's just that it's weird continuity. And the same thing with bond with, uh, you know, pass it over to um, and License to Kill. They're talking about Tracy. And in Goldeneye, we still have a reboot of like recasting a lot of people. You know, Bond's different, M's different. It's a whole big different thing. But they're talking about how Bond used to have previous missions. And I kind of think that they're going to lean more towards in that direction of like, Look, you can take into this whatever you want. We're going to start have the starting point of Bond as Bond. I think that's the best way to go. But we've never had Bond killed before with continuity. So now we do need to have a hard reboot instead of a soft one. Because even then, when Bond is told by Elektra, uh, she says, uh, have you ever lost somebody? And he does that moment, that just that beat of whatever, uh, and moves on to the rest of the conversation. It's like, okay, that's probably Tracy that he's talking about. So it's kind of like, yeah, I mean, we see in Dino of the Day, is this where they keep all the old relics and it's old Bond missions, you know, Rosa Club's show, so you kind of imply that he's done all those. So it's weird because they're going to have to start this off going, okay, do we approach this as if we are carrying on from either of these two continuities or if it's brand new? If it's brand new, I really hope that they don't go with and let's start it off with he's not 007 yet, and we have to tell Casino Royale again because we just saw it. Even though it's been years, we just saw it four movies ago. I don't want Bond is becoming 007. I kind of just want him to be Bond. And I I don't want them to tell the story of, okay, we're going to have like contractually obligated, we're going to get three films out of this person who plays Bond, and we're going to tell the beginning of Bond, the middle of Bond, and then the end of Bond, and we're going to kill Bond off at the end of the third one again. Like, I don't want them to get into that rut, either. So what I think will happen, and where I think, you know, people like us have experience in, because we're fans of Batman, and even in some cases, wrestling with the consistent retirement, it'll just be, Bond is back, He's just in another story, and now he's a character like a Batman, where as long as you plop him in a familiar situation, it's, okay, what story are we telling with Batman? This will be, okay, what story are we telling with Bond? But you won't need to do the, hey, he's 
becoming 007 unless years down the line you just want to get into a new arc. And I'm also worried about but they can they can do it well, they can do it poorly. I kind of feel bad for whoever comes next. Cuz you're going to get two extreme reactions. You're going to get the people that are very much like Craig is the best bond ever. This had continuity. This is whatever. And there's nothing that can top it. And then you're going to get people that are like, I hated the way that this went and I just want to get something different and I'm going to build it up in my brain. And I might fall into this territory in a certain way. I don't hate the Craig films. I don't want to get them all. Like I hate a lot of elements of the series, but I casino Royale is like my number two pretty much. Um, it, it's like I and some others that are fans of the franchise that are more off put with the way that some of these things worked, we might fall into the trap of going into this going and the next one should redeem that for me. And then we build up the hype so much that we can't possibly end up being happy about it. And then it ends up being, well, you did that to yourself. It's not their fault that you wanted a Q that's like this and a money penny that's like this and an M that's like that. Cause I don't even know what I would go with here. Like if they were to tell me you're contracted to write the next bond film, I'm like, I said it before, how do you take Q in another direction? Do you just do Ben Wishaw, but he's not Ben Wishaw. Then people go, oh, I like the Ben Wishaw one better. Do you do Desmond Llewellyn? But then everybody goes, well, oh, that's just Desmond Llewellyn, but he's not Desmond Llewellyn. Or do you do something else? And then they go, well, then that's not Q. Then you go, shit, where do I go with here? Like well, that's money penny. You can kind of just keep doing the same thing. I think it's kind of easy with her and M as long as M is the boss, you can pretty much do the same thing. Felix is pretty much just another guy, but bond with like Q and bond with the gadgets. I want the gadgets back, but I'm also kind of worried they do this in the franchise and we've talked about it before we've seen the trends where sometimes they go into a more serious movie than the rejection or just the staleness or whatever. They go in a complete opposite direction. They go something super silly and then they go super dark and then they go super silly. I don't think we need to have a license to kill next because we just got one, but I don't want them to go into die another day. I don't want silly superhero action over the top, which they might do. They might go into more of like, let's try to make this a little MCU ish and make it more of like a superhero thing. And it's like, oh, Bond's not a superhero. See, but I think that's kind of where we're at in the franchise now. And that's the beauty of it is it's going to come down to whomever gets, you know, on their hands on the franchise next and what their interpretation is, because now it's, it is just like that blank slate property that, you have the blueprint. Which one are you going to go with? How are you going to put your own unique spin on it? And the keys of the kingdom might be switching. It might not be Michael G. Wilson anymore. Seems like Barbara Rockley at the very least will stay on. But I, I think what might happen next, and I have nothing I'm basing this on. So just take it with as heavy of a grain of salt as you can. I think Amazon is going to want a series. And I think that they're going to make a mistake that a lot of people do. It could be good, you know, mind you. But I think that they're going to make the mistake that a lot of franchises do. I think they're going to make a young James Bond series. And they're going to go with, let's tell the story of how Bond grew up. 
and we can have a teenager or somebody in their early 20s. Obviously, he's not like, you know, in MI6 with Q with any of that, but I think it's going to be like the rough and tough young Indiana Jones kind of a thing. Like, I think they're going to do that. And that's going to be their separate thing of like, if people like it, we'll keep it going. And maybe that person can be James Bond, James Bond going forward in the in the movies. And if people don't like it, we had a couple of years to think about where we want the movies to go. And then we just reboot it with a brand new Bond again. And then that's kind of a buffer. If people hate it, they're searching for a new Bond film. If they like it, let's continue the continuity. I think that's where they're going. Well, they could very easily do that because there is a whole um, literature surrounding a, a young James Bond. Mm-hmm. Silverfin and whatnot. I think yeah, Silverfin's name uh, uh, Yeah, Charlie Hickson. Yeah. Uh, right side of um, about the, the young James Bond. So there's a lot of written material, source material they can work off of if they want to do that. I, I think that there's a good chance they'll do something like that, but I don't think it actually will impact, or at least it won't initially impact the main series itself. I feel like they'll just do, okay, we're going to do a young James Bond series, but that'll be like, as I say, maybe an Amazon Prime series, mm, while yeah. at the same time they're doing the actual Bond movies in theatres and stuff like that. It could be coinciding with it, yeah. I do yeah. definitely think that with the fact that people are leaning so heavily towards streaming, I think that they they want to tap into that for sure. That's I have all these really notes clever. that I didn't bother to go into with uh, some of those things, but I want to stick on this point because <laughs> I like this point to talk about. That's actually really clever. I didn't think about just doing something and running it back as a series. Cause again, that's a trend in media. I know you did last summer. It's back as a series, Chucky back as a series. So perhaps that is just the way you go. And it's Either also, way. it's uh, fulfilling that different for the sake of different thing that people, some people want. Some people literally, they'll make the argument. Something's only good if it's something different, even if it's not necessarily better. It's just whatever. And you it's, know, it's the uh, Barney Stinson new is always better. Yeah. Some people do just kind of think that where you could give them the best thing five times in a row and they'd rather have something that's not as good just because it's different because they're bored with it already. So that goes in a different direction it kind of does something fresh and new and all you know it hits all the buzzwords kind of thing and it's the streaming thing um i will be incredibly shocked if they don't do that either way i'm in for the ride i mean that's one good thing about this whole series is now i'm in for the ride with these things (laughs) now i've I've got you (laughs) hooked on (laughs) sorry that's fine. Exactly. I, I, I don't go into these things with the same sense of dread and that you that you seem to go right, into. Right? Yeah. These things You're not as heavily invested. You know. well, I'm I'm heavily invested. I'm just positive. <laughs> well, I mean, like <laughs> and, uh, when it happens, like they go, "Hey, there's Terminator Dark Fate." I go, "God, I'm gonna hate this movie," and I'll be there opening night. And when it's like, uh, "Hey, there's a new Batman movie," I'm like, I. Sometimes I I end up being really negative about it, and then I end up being dead wrong, and I'm super happy. Like uh, I I thought that Heath Heath Ledger was gonna be a terrible Joker, and ended up being a really good one. Sometimes I'm like, oh man, this is gonna be the best thing ever, and then I hate it, and then I end up being like, this just pissed me off even more. Like with uh, I thought Terminator Three could have been potentially really good, and I 
watched it three times in the theaters, just trying to convince myself I liked it. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, we talked about all the points, so I don't need to keep uh, raining down on it, but yeah, I have like paragraphs of things talking about the ethics of killing characters in a depressing time frame where I'm sick of bleak outcomes <laughs> and like all these other kind of things. It's the same, you know, my point of view, I don't need to keep repeating it. Uh, I, I'm disappointed that they killed Bond. I'm disappointed more so in the way that they did it with the way that the series worked out than the fact that they did it. Because I think that there's poignant ends for certain characters. Like you know, Tony Stark's end isn't my true ending for Tony Stark in my mind, but I think that it works really well for that movie series and et cetera, et cetera. I can get into that with more of my ending Marvel series. And I might write up uh, an ending James Bond thing down the line. Maybe. I don't know. But I don't vehemently reject the movie, but I don't think it works as well as a standalone movie. And I don't think that it works as well as far as it doesn't trigger the good stuff in me. It just kind of left me sad. And that's where I'm going to rank it the way that I I'm going to rank it when we get to it. But let's recap a couple of things here um, and talk about these with our rankings. Uh, I'm going to switch over some of my stuff. So on this YouTube uh, thing, you can actually see, on the screen, uh, our checklists and stuff. Let me um, switch over to our free from a uh, recap with love, which it is kind of at this point from recap with love. And here is our spreadsheet. Uh, the guys have access to this too. Um, you can see here, I rank the movie right now at number 14. I rank it underneath Thunderball and above Octopussy. Cause I think that, I might actually down the line, it takes multiple viewings and you can tell even from this series, I ranked Dr. No higher than I thought that I would, but I ended up ranking it towards the lower end anyway, but I liked it more this time than I did the last couple of times that I had seen it. There might be a time in the future where no time to die ends up being above something like the world is not enough for me, but right now it, my immediate reaction was I put it above Moonraker and the more uh, days that have come by, I bumped it down two spots. Maybe I'll end up disliking it more. I might end up putting it only above Quantum of Solace. I might actually end up putting it only above For Your Eyes Only down the line. Right now, it's sitting around that middle range. How about you guys? For me, I believe I'm going to end up placing it around the six or seven spot. So I'm thinking right now, right underneath the world is not enough and above tomorrow never dies because ultimately it's a very well told story. It won't be the, it's not like the way I prefer to see bond, but it's ultimately a great movie. And that's the thing with these quick films, best movies like movie for the sake of movie, the Craig films are where it's at. But like they're just other Bond stories and other interpretations I've liked more. I'm going with the uh, the idea that you'll probably put it around there. I'm balancing out your score at the moment on screen. <laughs> Obviously, if it changes, it changes. Um, 
And Callum, you are much higher on this, I know for a fact. Uh, you were telling me that it's around the top range. Where are you uh, sitting on it right now? Uh, for the time being, and again, on, re- on, re- on rewatches, it might move slightly, but right now it's at number three. Hmm. So what, uh, in your mind, what places it, because we disagree about On Her Majesty's Secret Service, and you've got that number three right now. What makes it edge out OHMSS? Um, I love On Her Majesty's Secret Service, and I feel like it's a, it is like a banner, like movie, in the, the overall significance to just the Bond franchise in general, I feel like it's a huge deal, but... No Time to Die is just fundamentally, it's a better movie, just in the way that it's produced and just every aspect of it. It, it just, it takes a lot of the elements of On Her Majesty's Services, but it updates it to modern times. And that's part of the reason why I want to put it further ahead. And I will talk about when we move into some other rankings as well, but like, I just feel that trio of movies at the top just represents my how I feel about the Bond series, which is those three movies. Are, there are two, obviously, movies in between those all three that are um, a lot less uh, enthralling in terms of just general, uh, the generally the way they're presented. But those three are the pillars of the Craig franchise. And if the Craig franchise is my favourite of all time, then that's the one that I've got to, I've got to slot it in. So it's, whenever we do things like this, you typically get, a good look at the way we view things. And I have a good view of how Callum looks at these movies and what Callum wants in a movie. And that is very clearly story. And Callum cares about story and character development because his top five really are movies that exemplify that. Not as much smart ever dies, but the top four for sure. But you look at like yeah. Honor Man. Well, I'd, I'd say the, I'd say the top four and number six are kind of more in, on that in that kind of mold. Five is just the fact that I think Tomorrow Never Dies is the best version of the action version in my mind. So that's why I go with that's why I go with that one up there. Yeah, but it's very clear that you value the story overall, which is is fun to see on a on a ranking like this. Oh yeah, I, I, I'm without shadow. These four at the top are there's a leap between them and Tomorrow Never Dies. It's not like it's close. It's not like a I'll ever think about the only the only thing that's ever going to change with these four is maybe in re- reviewings and stuff like that that they'll be shifted around. But those four will always be atop the uh, list for me, unless the next iterations are even better. But yeah, like, at then, the moment, that's know, it. something pops yeah. it down or something. Yeah. But but for right now, that's the way they're going to stay. It's just going to be some sort of uh, arrangement of those four. And I've got my approach to the series is very much uh, trope based, I guess you could say. Like most of my top 10 are very much like this hits all the elements whether it's like some of them that have like a stronger story. Like I think that Casino Royale, of course, is one of the strongest stories. I think that License to Kill has got a really strong story to it. Uh, Skyfall, of course. Yeah. Uh, 
and then you get like living daylights which i think is very like it kind of does almost everything from watching with love is very much like my if i'm looking for a connery spy movie thing i go with from Russia with love if i want roger moore silly i go with the man with the golden gun if i go with brosnan action i go with golden eye like i kind of i almost have like one of each bond except for lesby <laughs> you know? it's because he only did one and it just happens to be one that doesn't hit those elements if he would have done another one maybe it would have been higher up on the list too um and the way i look at it is all over the place a little bit <laughs> well yeah like like typically but really how it best represents the character and how much i just enjoyed the movie all the way through on the first viewing and i think you see a lot of that that's why this movie still sits in my top 10 because i did have a really good time watching this movie but i just don't <laughs> good time it, to watch <laughs> i just don't think it represents the bond character the way i see him as much as goldeneye does yeah. but like there's a license to kills on my top five as well because i enjoyed that interpretation of bond and yeah really it's all over the place but these movies were all over the place <laughs> that's for sure mathematically with our current rankings the way that they are which of course they could change they these have changed here and there as time goes on uh our combined ranking would put it at number eight behind the world's not enough and above the living daylights that's about right for me that's a actually literally behind the world said enough on your list. Yeah. <laughs> and only two spots above, uh, loving daylight. So that's, it's, it, we're, we're robbing it, uh, out with the, the merger between Callum and I, when that kind of scenario pretty much. Um, but let's tier list it. Let's go through this thing. Let's, uh, let's place this to where it's needs to be placed on all these spectrums. Obviously we've talked mostly about this, so it's not going to be full recaps of everything, but, uh, and this has already gone pretty long for this podcast, but, um, no time to die on a tier list. Again, this is the way that this works for everybody who doesn't know and hadn't checked out the previous ones. It's going to be uh, a balancing act between everything that we've got going on. So I personally rank this D tier. I think that it is around the same range that I have Octopus the Individual Kill, where there are elements I really like about it, and there are things that I find fundamentally flawed. So I go D tier. I know that you guys are going to be higher up than that. Uh, I, I'm assuming that Callum is S tier. And I, I'm probably A tier, maybe B tier, but I'd say A. So between an A and a B, leaning a little bit towards an A, you've got an S, and I'm at a D. That seems like it balances out to about a B, like a B plus kind of deal. We don't have pluses on here, but it's definitely not a C, definitely not a D. I'm the only one that's close to the D. Seems like that would be in that B plus A minus kind of range, and. I think you lean a little bit more towards B plus because of me having a, an extra spot lower with the D. Uh, and obviously personal lists, totally different. And again, I, and again, I think that fits. <laughs> like, I, you know, I really, it's a great film. It's just one that hits maybe not the way some would want. And there are 11 movies other than this that are in that, S and A and B range, and it comes out at number eight. So obviously we're not ranking the other things. That's the whole point of the ranking, but that's that's in that range. 
kind of deal. Um, where should we go next? Uh, let's go to, uh, let's go to Bond Girls. Um, I currently have ranked Ploma many spots above Nomi, but not, you know, drastically crazy amounts. Like, uh, we've got 93 or 92 women on this list and I've got Nomi at number 45 and Paloma at number 32. I got her below Money Eve Money Penny. I've got Nomi between Severine and Dr. Wormflash. Now you guys didn't fully rank uh necessarily, but a rough idea where you where you thinking about placing? Uh, I mean, first of all, I have said I might move Madeline up. Like she ends up being important to the franchise. So while she sits at number seven for me right now, she might even go into the top five, if not higher. Um, but as far as Paloma and Nomi, um, Paloma would be around the, the range for me, like a, a Waylon or a Jinx. So around that early, like low 20s range. And Nomi... Yeah, I don't know. Probably around the Miss Taro, Mary Goodnight range. And I had forgotten to bump up Madeline a couple spots. I think I have her. At least right now, I've got her above Jinx. Yeah, for what she means to the franchise, I'd probably put Madeline right below Vesper. How about you, Callum? Where are these uh, ladies going? Uh, Madeline would go above Fiona now. So she got from 18th in my list to, to about 5th. Oh, Based uh, on just, again, the importance of the series and stuff like that. And then both Naomi and Plome will be somewhere in the middle. I haven't really thought about it that far yet, but they'll be somewhere in the middle. So then let's tier list them. Uh... Moving Madeline maybe up to A tier? At least. At least, yeah. Apologies for the dog barking in the background. Uh, we got Nomi and... Uh, I have Paola. I typed that wrong. Paloma. <laughs> That's her name, not Paola. Um, Paloma, I would go... I'm thinking C tier. I'm thinking, well, yeah. I'm thinking B. She's not in the movie enough to to be. She's, yeah, that's that's my issue with it. She's not in the movie. Uh, so that's two votes for C. Um, outranks that, and B's right close to whatever. No me, I'm going closer thinking, to the D. I'm thinking D. I would have gone C because I don't think that she's she's bad. But yeah. I don't I, think I, that I, Pammy I and Thumper are quite D tier either. But yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, I can't put her on the same. Like, just look at the people in it. I don't think that it's fair that she's on the same category as Strawberry Fields. Well, more, more of where I'd say I don't know if it's fair that she's in the same category with Vita and Zora. Uh, maybe, maybe C tier. Yeah, I, I think that Strawberry. I liked her character more overall than Nomi, and because my my issue with well, both of them really is. We could have seen more with them, and Nomi in particular, because she's the new double as and like you could have done more with her. Let's go to villains. We got uh Lutz for Safin. 
I currently have him at a pretty low range right now. I might bump him up a little bit. Um, actually, I definitely need to bump him up because I just realized that I've got Hans Oberhauser higher up than that. And I've got Gustav Graves. He is fucking better than that. So I'm going to bump him up several spots here. And I'm going to put him... I don't know if I'd go above or below Orlov. Now I'm kind of... I'm not too sure about that one. Uh... I guess I'll put it below Orlov for right now. Um, how about you guys? I'm probably going to be above Zoran. I, I thought he was good. I And I really liked the acting. I'd put him below Whitaker on my list. I don't think... I was of the interpretation that the character himself, I felt, was didn't feature prominently enough. And mm. I couldn't understand how a heavily poisoned boy turns into the leader of a massive organization of people that will do his bidding, even though I presume he's fairly weak in general. Like you can fight, but like I don't really, I didn't really get that any sort of like real dominating presence from him in that regard. And to me, the main villain of the movie is the is the virus. It's not, it's not, it's not uh, Safin. So where are you guys ranking him again? I'm just try to balance out these lists a little bit. I'm uh, thinking seventeenth. And for me, it'll be thirteenth. All right, so let me uh, let me do this as much as I can to kind of do that. Uh, Who are you putting him above Zorin? Oh. Yeah, are you doing above Zorin or are you about right, below right below Largo? Zorin? So right. below oh. above Largo. Above Largo, okay. So move that there. So that makes uh, if anybody wants to add their numbers, switching over. Um, I'll try to knock out Robs in the meantime. Uh. I think that Safin's one of those, like, uh, yeah, I kind of agree with what Callum's saying. Like, I wanted a little bit more of him on there. I understand why they didn't put more of him on there. It's because they don't, ha- the movie doesn't have enough time to breathe with that. I mean, the, t- the movie's one of the longest that they've ever had. And it still ends up being, like, you still can't kind of cram it in there. But, um, let's see, 19, 11, 28. I'll say this for a movie that was nine. fairly long, like the longest Bond movie ever. They could have used that time to flesh out some characters. I think my biggest gripe with the film is going to end up being, yeah, you could have done more with Nomi. You could have done more with Saf and you could have done more. Like these are great characters. You could have used them better. So if the numbers are, uh, you finished your in yours, right, Callum? Yeah. So if the numbers are right, uh, the 15 mark, 15.667, where does that rank him? That ranks him above Koskov. Just below Koskov. Oh, oh, yeah, just above, just above Koskov, I think, is the only one that you'd be ahead of. And Renard. So, yeah, Koskov and yeah. Renard oh, are like that. Yeah. Where's, where's Largo on here? Largo is 13. Yeah, so he's uh, just below Largo. Right in the middle, yeah. Right much. smack in the middle. On a tier list side of things, Safin, 
Mm. I'd say I'd say that under normal circumstances he'd probably be a D. But he kills Bond. But he kills Bond, so well no he doesn't kill Bond. He well, he gives Bond he no beats. reason to live, yeah. so he's a C. So he's I go, a C. I go C. Yeah. yeah. Kinda where I was leaning. He's got some of the elements that you want in a Bond villain. Like he's got the scarred face, he's got the evil lair, he's got the goons. He does something that's very impactful of the series. He's memorable in some ways. In some ways, it's kind of stupid gimmicky. Like, I don't really like the mask. I think it's just kind of for promotional material more than anything else. But yeah, C tier. Makes sense. Henchman wise, I currently ranked, and you guys don't have to bother to necessarily rank them, but we'll tier list them. Um, I've got Obrachev higher than the other ones. I've got Logan Ash and Primo, the Cyclops guy. Uh, I've got them in like that sort of mid range. But Obertrev, I've got kind of a little bit higher because I do like his character in this movie. He was, you know, this slimy scientist kind of guy. Primo's got the cool cybernetic eye thing. Logan's a real son of a bitch. Yeah, about that mid range. Yeah, I'd say they'd be mid to low, maybe pretty much all of them. I wouldn't. Um separate Obrachev. I think Obrachev is a um is a not say failed but like a weak attempt at trying to do uh Boris again. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that. I did get Boris vibes that's, from him. I didn't think about that, but now you bring it up, yeah. He is a lesser Boris. Yeah. I mean that's why Boris is number seven for me and he's thirty. But it's like bad, it's, but like you can only compare someone like that to Boris. Yeah. Yeah, because in the same way that I got a kick out of Boris. I did chuckle with Obershev. I just didn't think really that any of them made too strong of an impression on me. Yeah, I uh I liked some moments of this. I liked when when they were teasing him with the um the food and he was all just like, oh I'm gonna give you like a smallpox or whatever the fuck it was. Like <laughs> You you would. You would think that that's a hoot. <laughs> like do it, Obertrev, you know. Uh, where are we tier listing them? Um, I'd go maybe C for all of them. I think they're better than Chang, for instance, in D tier. Uh, I wouldn't yeah. go so far as B tier for any of them. I guess. Yeah, C. Consider, considering all the ones during D tier, yeah, I think that's. Yeah, I think they're all bad. Yeah, like they, they're better than high fat. You know, like. Yeah, yeah we'll say these would make sense. Yeah, I like. Uh, I like Logan Ash better than Eric Kriegler for like the heavy Primo's got the cool eye thing. That's much better than Scarpine with just the scar on his face. Logan Ash. Uh, I mean, uh, Obershev as far as like, you know, that scientisty manipulative type of whatever kinds of characters. I like him better than high fat. I like high fat for a certain way, but high fat's not some, you know, eight tier type character. We go to allies. Uh, does anybody move up on your list? Uh, like uh, any significant upgrade for Money Penny or Tanner or M or Felix? No, because they're already so high up as it is. This movie reaffirms why they're high up, but they don't move. I moved Tanner up, the Rory Kinnear version of Tanner. I forget where I had him before, but I remember putting this in italics because I was like, yeah, I'm moving him up a little bit more. I think I might have had him underneath the Michael Kitchen 
Tanner, and I bumped him up to be like, nah, you know what? If I think Bill Tanner now, I think Rory Kinnear. Paloma and Nomi are the two other ones that we have in here. We've already talked about them. They're somewhere in like that mid-range. At least for the Bond girls. They're mid-range for me. For some of those. They're mid-range uh, allies, probably. I think I might uh... lower Nomi a little bit. I might put her a little bit more closer to the Magda range. Not too sure. That doesn't have to be a final thing. Tier listy wise, though, uh, we already have the S tiers in the S tier for a reason. Because they are. <laughs> uh, Paloma and Nomi. Tier list for the allies, at the very least. I'd probably go. Maybe C for both. Yeah, because I'm looking at D and Warm Flash is in D, so you can't. They did more than her. Well, I'd put, I'd put Paloma in C and Nomi in D. And I like Paloma better overall as an ally, so I'd go C for her. So, Rob, break the tie. Two Cs, uh, C and a B, uh, an F if and an cool S. With, uh, <laughs> with uh, Nomi in D, then I can. No, I can... the same B. Oh, you put Nomi in B? Yeah. Yeah, I can't, I can't sign off on that. Two Cs. Two Cs. Uh, we went one CC of allies. That uh, song wise, no time to die. Pretty damn high up on my list. I currently yeah. have it at my number eleven. Eleven. Um, <laughs> that's ruined yeah. so much. Yeah. By the way, like over the we've done thirty five up thirty four episodes of this. I've had that burned in my brain as you know since I was like fifteen years old, but never has it been so much as when we've done this to the point where I can't say. 11 without going 11 or if we're talking about the pro wrestler Aaliyah it's like Aaliyah <laughs> you know, <it's- laughs> uh, I like No Time to Die I would put it probably above Goldfinger actually really? Above yeah. Goldfinger. I'm a big fan of it How about uh, on your list, Callum? You've got it. moved into number eight. Number eight. So we got eight, 11, and uh, five. five. Uh, so that's, uh, that comes out to number eight. And then trying to balance out uh, some of Rob's here. Uh, Rob, you want to take the top and I'll take the bottom? <laughs> we'll balance yeah. it out, make it a little bit uh, quicker. Uh so writings on the walls there. You had put this at number five, so it's everything from six onward. So 12, 14, 10, 17, 21, 24, 20. Wait. Something's off there. Uh, what did I do? For your eyes only. What do you have for your eyes only on your list? That's at 20. Where is for your eyes only on your list? Uh, that is at 29. 29. That's what it was. An all-time high, you've got 30. That was way off. That was like 24 or something range. We got to double-check that. These might be completely off. For much with love, yeah, for much with love, you actually have it at 26 now. Goldfinger's at number 6. Thunderball is at number 8. You only have twice. Or I have diamonds. Give it that to 21. 
Okay. How did the numbers get all messed up with that? Is anybody else's numbers all messed up? I don't think so. Right? Oh, was Thunderball was. Yeah, it is because I didn't. We, I assume me and Rob didn't originally rank all the other extra ones. Oh, Before that's where it got all messed up with the last time yeah. around. Yeah, that's, right. Yeah, that's true. Okay, so they're all they're all kind of probably going to be all over the place in that regard because we we're just ranked to... it based on our um, original ones. So we're gonna so... balance this out while you guys are able to see us uh, doing the math <laughs> behind this. That's the yeah. most enthralling thing is uh, math. Uh, so nobody does it better. You've got a number twelve Moonraker. You've got at number twenty-four for your eyes only is twenty-nine. Yeah, thirty. If you do a kill, super high. I know that. That's number three. Such a fun song. How often have you been listening to some of these songs, by the way, guys? While we're talking about this. Oh, Living Daylights is probably going to be the number one song of the year on my Spotify. I'm very interested to see uh, where that comes out. If you do a kill as well, you know my name is at number one because I've always perpetually listened to that. No Time to Die, I think the movie sold me more on the song. Uh, realistically, I haven't listened to any Bond songs since uh, we finished doing the recordings of these. Never uh, just felt the urge to throw on like um, Diamonds Are Forever or something? Nah, I only listen to them like, if I'm at work and stuff like that. And I've just been listening to other stuff instead. So are, you guys, yeah, you are you a music guy? Like, what do you... What do you I don't really listen. I don't really listen to music in general. Yeah, like most, the most music I listen to is realistically like uh, wrestling entrance themes, <laughs> and uh, yeah, occasionally I'll throw in. I got like hooked onto. Um, I'm I'm one of those people that will listen to a song and then just play it on repeat constantly for a little while, just uh, until I get eventually super bored of. Uh, <laughs> sick of it. But, yeah, listen to it. So I've gone into. Um, the most recent one that I did that to was um, Midnight Sky by Miley Cyrus. Hmm. Just was listening to that. I don't know it offhand. It's really good. Well, I like it, so that's that's the very least. But uh, Fun fact, as we're doing all this for the last Bond film, I think the conversation that started all of this was Callum saying he had gotten on a kick of listening to all the Bond music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty it much, was. Yeah. yeah. So if and, these... and, the, and the series killed it off. So that's good. <laughs> If these numbers work the way that it seems like they're working, it seems like No Time to Die would be our number seven overall rank. Looks like that, that's the right math. Yeah, that looks that looks like it'd be about right. So, pretty damn high up, top ten, which mm-hmm. means uh, if we're tier listing it, I go. I think I might go A tier. I'd go I'd A. Yeah. 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 Three A's. You know what that spells? Ah! Ah! <laughs> it's just an easy joke. I had to do it. Uh, opening sequences. We have the whole thing with Safin and Madeline. And then we have the action sequence in Italy. The Vesper stuff. The uh, putting Madeline on a train. I've currently ranked it just a spot underneath Casino Royale. I think I might actually bump it up. Uh, past Casino Royale. Yeah. Do that. Might pump it up above Goldfinger. Yep. I'll, I'll bump it above uh, Goldfinger too. I'll bump it up above Skyfall. Because I really liked it. I think 
first of all, it's so long. And then you think about, like, everything it establishes. And, yeah, I was a big fan. How's this rank for you, Callum? The uh, opening sequences? I think it's one of the best, if not the best, I've ever done. Yeah, I was looking at the tier list. We might have to ask tier it. Looking at an S tier, we might have to ask tier this. I'm not going S tier. I know that. Well, I mean, I, I've got well, it. So. I got it at a level uh, eleven right now, so I'm not going S tier. Well, I'm going S tier as the well. The lowest I'd go is A. Yeah, so if me and Rob would both realistically put it in S, and you're going to probably put it around either C or D range, it'll go A. It'll probably go A. Yeah. So um, let me see how I where these go because Spy Who Loved Me, Moonraker, Spectre. Where do I have them on here? Spy Who Loved Me is there. Moonraker. It's a shame that you pulled, but. For your eyes only an E tier. <laughs> so if these are lower than that, then that means that means I'd have to go A. Yeah. For it. Yeah. So then, technically I'm speaking, if I it's, mean, I, I would say it's, I would say it's still an S, but you know. I mean, technically speaking, if you go two S's and an A, two it kind of balances out to an S. Yeah, mathematically, uh, you know, and I'm, and I'm all right with that. Like, yeah, yeah, I'll take it. Not, uh, well, I mean, that is the highest. <laughs> you can't really be like, oh, I'm yeah. disappointed in it, you know. <laughs> uh, well, we don't I, have. I want it to just be there and all the other ones to go into I instead. And decided <laughs> it needs to be double S there or something. <laughs> uh, we don't rank all the gadgets, but in this one in particular, and this is notes that were all over the place when we were doing these necros milk bottles and these hands. <laughs> <laughs> forgot that we had Tiki's hands on there um the gadget wise we pretty much got the car and we got car and the watch. watch and the we they did the smart blood thing again yeah that's something i wanted to mention this is the third time that they did the smart blood it's coming where, and they did the joke from? again of the you know he gets injected with it and it's the ow except for this time it's no me but when, i'm just like don't do it anymore come on you know well, I know it's not a Bond uh, gadget, but they did the um, like the gravity thing. Oh yeah, the gravity yeah. thing was pretty cool. Yeah, uh, dropping like them down that. the elevator shaft and the gravity yeah. parachute kind of keeps them. Yeah, that was cool. Uh, we got the yes, bionic so. eyeball. Yeah, oh, I like that actually. Yeah, so that this is actually probably in the entire Craig iteration. This probably it's the, the most gadgets. Yeah. Yeah. And we um we got the uh, spy plane as well. If you're going to count that, in that sort of like vehicle range as well. The gravity, whatever it is, thing. Yeah, the stealth gravity thing. (laughs) The stealth Uh, plane, which just like goes down with gravity and stuff like that. So we didn't tier list that because that would have taken forever. So we don't need to place that anywhere else. And um, just generally speaking, would any of them potentially be on your Mount Rushmore of any of these? Positive or negative? Obviously, probably not negative, but I wouldn't Mount Rushmore it either. There is no No. Mount Rushmore. There is only the Ghetto Blaster, okay? And then I personally went through my the girls based on the attraction. I had done that list before. For anybody who's curious, I have like Paloma pretty damn high, for instance, because not a Dormus, you know, whatever. But we didn't bother to really rank them. It's a way more of a subjective type of thing, even more so than the other things where we can't really bring anything to the table as far as like, yeah, but it does this part of the movie and it serves this function. It's like, who do you think's hottest? You know, that kind of deal. So, um, ultimately, that is. That is our, our breakdown of No Time to Die. Uh, it is it is a lot. It's a packs of wallop. 
Um, oh, they also have that tracker canister thing. That's weird. I didn't really mm. like that, but you know, <laughs> that's just another thing. That's not low tier or anything. Um, I like a lot about the movie. It is very, very, very far from my favorite. And there's some things that make me very concerned about what they're going to do in the future, but I won't know how that plays out until it plays out because I'm sure if I would have been watching these movies when uh, Diamonds Are Forever came out, since that is my lowest ranked out of all of them, I probably would have been like, the franchise is dead. I don't feel that way about this. I do feel kind of scared and intimidated that maybe the franchise is going to continue to go in a direction I don't really like as a fan. But maybe they compensate and they add the things that I was missing out. Or maybe they don't. I have no fucking idea. None of us do. Overall, Calm's on the higher end. Rob's in the middle. I'm on the lower end. But even on the lower end for me, it still comes out to about the mid-range. It's still it's still a shaken film. It's not stirred. Like, it can't be. So this is a really good film. It's just questionable decisions were made for some. Obviously, yeah. Calum goes shaken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he's definitely shaken. <laughs> no, yeah, no, yeah, no. Yeah, no. We're gonna go with that. I don't, feel, I don't feel like that really needs to be written. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, right now you do this complete one eighty, and you're like, "Fuck it, sucks. I hate it. It's worse than you only twice." You know, like that kind. I mean, I like these movies. You know, there's not really many that I give the stirred to. So, yeah, it's a shaken for me, despite the fact that I've. I think it's got its flaws, but. The only movies that I really don't want to sit down and watch all that much are, honestly, On Her Majesty's Secret Service and For Your Eyes Only and Doctor No. All the other ones, even Diamonds Are Forever, I'll rewatch every once in a while just because it's stupid and goofy and it's a shit film, but it's fun. And Quantum of Solace, I've watched that a bunch of times. A lot of flaws in it, but watched it a bunch of times. I don't know how this is going to work out for future viewings. I might end up loving it a lot more. I might end up hating it. I might end up making this one of my least favorite. It might end up becoming one of my favorites. It might stay exactly where it is. I don't know. Benefit of time. And uh, who knows when we revisit this in the future and in what fashion. But drop your comments below and tell us your thoughts on what you thought of No Time to Die at least for your first reactions and in future years, leave a comment in response to your comment. If this is still up in 10 years and you're interested in leaving a comment, I don't know. Um, any last thoughts you guys have? I definitely know this series will return. I definitely know that we have all the time in the world. Yeah, it's been a, um, it's been a good, culm- well, at least from what I've said, good culmination to this journey. We started a year plus ago. Yeah, this, uh, this began, we were started recording this in January, if I remember correctly, or we started releasing it in January. I don't remember when we started recording it even. This is the only one, like, literally the only episode that's going to be released when we did it. <laughs> you know, everything else was in advance, which ended up being really positive with uh, scheduling and everything. But I don't know if the Review to a Kill podcast returns. Certainly not with question marks because we we never did never say never again we never did the casino royale from 1967 we had talked before about doing the johnny english movies which that you know obviously the austin powers ones are spinoffs it's not really the review to kill stuff we could watch james bond jr probably awful but we could awful uh i wanted to try to figure out if i could do some kind of golden eye source thing i don't know 
If you have any suggestions, if you want to make sure that we do stuff, Patreon is the best way to do that. And if we do pop up, whatever it is, I hope you enjoy whatever it is that's coming up next. If not, I hope you enjoyed this series. This was easily one of my favorite things that I have ever done in the span of a mango tree. So I want to thank not only everybody that's followed us on the journey for this, but I want to thank these two guys for going on the journey for me and with me. You know, uh, so much more fun doing this with the two of you than it would have been just revisiting this on my own. Infinitely, vastly different experience. I got to experience the movies through your eyes for the first time, get reactions of jokes that I've seen a million times and it for you guys to be like, oh my God, I can't believe this part happens at this thing. And this is crazy. And it's been fun to see, for instance, like, you know, to get a message from Rob where he's just kind of like, I'm invested in this and God damn it, whatever. And it's like, oh, you got hooked like on this, you know, like, uh, so yeah, massive, massive thanks to you guys for, for doing this with me. It was a blast for me. And now I'm a Bond fan. So yeah, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. I, yeah. It's, uh, it feels like something that's been a long time coming in terms of being part of my uh, country's, culture essentially and i wouldn't have uh, gotten ever gotten around to actually going through every single movie and uh appreciating it without somebody who is the right the most bona fide bond fan that i'm aware of so <laughs> we have to um thank tony for actually being the real instigator of this even though like it was my offhanded comment and then we just got to talking about this but without tony we wouldn't be doing something like this because tony is is the bong guy and yeah so it's been good to see his expertise and his own knowledge of this thing which adds a lot of color to mine and rob just to oh that was funny or well wow, <laughs> thank, thank god for that i'll say that personally because sometimes all i got is i liked it yeah it makes, yeah it makes it it makes it feel like there's an actual like expert listening to the, like uh like reviewing this thing rather than just two guys going tough yeah. I can, he said I can speak English. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Although that in itself would have been a fun scenario to see, like, you know, uh, just, just the series from the perspective of LOL pussy galore. <laughs> it would have been like, look at what we've done with just Mojito. Because it's just like, oh, God. I wanted to, I, thank you for saying that because I wanted to mention this too. I said mosquito the other day and I went mosquito. <laughs> kind of like, again, burned in my brain too. Yeah. Uh, it's been a good yeah, time. Our lives are now ruined by in jokes that no one ever gets. <laughs> Actually, there's a part in the James Bond movie dying the other day where he says mojito kind of funny. So I'm just saying mosquito kind of funny, whatever. And I know you're not going to laugh, but that's why I'm laughing right now. And then, yeah. Are you sure you want to marry me? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, where are you going? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, so that's uh, that's a wrap for possibly this. I don't know. We'll see. As I mentioned before, leave your comments below. Tell us if you do want us to return and in what fashion. And I will I will tease the idea James Bond will return. A review to a kill will return? Eh? <laughs> For now, uh, let's round this out with some plugs, though. Make sure you are subscribed to the 
series here, the YouTube channel, all the things on fanboysanonymous.com, Facebook and Twitter as well. Make sure if you are into the pro wrestling stuff, you go to smartcoutmoment.com and check out everything that's happening there. Make sure that you follow me at Tony Mango and make sure you follow these guys of what they're up to too, whether it's on pro wrestling stuff or whether it's on movie stuff or just general, I don't know, life and talking about stuff. Rob? Yeah, if you can follow me everywhere at Dude Felice. If you're more into the movie stuff, Tony and I just watched the Injustice animated film. We broke that down. That was a lot of fun. If you're more into the pro wrestling stuff, Tony and I just watched King of the Ring 95, so you can go check out that. Full fan tracks on Smart Out Moment. And then if you're interested in pro wrestling news and things of the like, check out my work on Fightful.com and check out Sean Ross Sapp's work on Fightful Select. Callum? You can follow me on Twitter at Wigmeister14. Check out all the stuff on smartcamoment.com. Power rankings is my weekly contribution, but make sure you're reading all the other articles as well if you're into the pro wrestling stuff. And if you are super into pro wrestling stuff and you're into wrestling from the past, then there is both 2001 Wrestling Odyssey and the Paul Heyman Smackdown podcast over in the uh, Smack Talk archives. I'm on that too, because you can't get away from me. <laughs> all right, everybody, that's it. Uh, no time to waste. We need to end this. We are already three and a half hours almost into this thing. And um, yeah, we will see you when we see you with whatever it is that we see you with next, everybody, whether it's a review of the stuff or whether it's a, an Amazon Prime series or just some kind of maybe if I start figuring out a Twitch thing of my own and I start playing some Goldeneye. I don't know. I won the first match the other day when I played with my friends. Still had the touch. Kick some ass. <laughs> That's going to do us in for this. Thank you for listening to this, everybody. And we will see you next time. But for now, it's time for us to geek.